Bring it in week one of the NFL season. Guys, you know what it is. It's in the books. I'm here with my man, Scotty Miller. No Vito today. Vito, we'll be back on Thursday's pod. We have a confirmation from the man himself that he will be there on Thursday night. Uh, or, yeah, I guess it'll be Thursday night when we're recording. But Friday's pod for you guys, and we'll we'll preview week two. He's got some fiery Jameis takes after he nailed it. Jameis Lasix Winston. (laughs) I think he needs a sponsorship deal with Lasix. Scotty, how are you, man? Week one, we, it was back. We had NFL Sunday back. It was an amazing, amazing feeling on Sunday, waking up, going through the whole process and having just wall to wall football. And we get some tonight on Monday night. Uh, I told you yesterday I was outside I was grilling brats as like tailgating for the one o'clock window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Scott Hansen comes on and I get hit in the face with the Octobox and seven hours of commercial free football. And that's when I just lost it. I was like, Oh baby, I am you, here. For be honest, this. Scotty, did you, did you have to change yourself afterwards? Did you have to change pants after? No, surprisingly. <laughs> uh, it was close though. It was a close call. It was a close call. <laughs> Uh, I was similar if I'm being totally honest. No, it would, dude, it was incredible. Like, honestly, the one o'clock games, we had an overtime game that I thought for sure was going to end in a tie. I don't know what Vito would have done there. We had all three of the read option representatives team wise pull off comfortable for the most part, comfortable wins. And we'll get into your Niners there who looked awesome until the, uh, the third quarter kind of rolled around. Uh, we had some major surprises. We had the NFC West dominating. We had the NFC North looking horrific. We had teams that we thought were going to be mediocre look spectacular. And we saw first-time head coaches kind of crush it across the board for first-year head coaches and some of our old faithfuls as well. We're going to run through the whole slate of NFL games. We'll talk a little college football because, look, man, the, if there's one thing I've learned working in college football, in college sports in the last, you know, this is my fourth season now, uh, fifth season if you include what I did in college, but fourth season now with, with SiriusXM. College football goes nuts when you least expect it, right? When the games look like the matchups are as boring as, as any weekend, the worst game of the, the la- worst slate of the year always ends up being the most insane day. And week two, we talked about it on Thursday, on Friday's pod. Week two did not have the same juice to it that week one did in terms of matchups. And yet, we had an incredible day. Uh, You know, top five teams falling, a top 10 showdown that was surprisingly lopsided, and lots of top 25 upsets. So we will get into that after we talk about our NFL stuff. But look, I said it to you before we hopped on here. College football is amazing. I love it. I love when you have it there. Saturdays, you have the Sunday after, so you can kind of drink, do whatever. There's nothing like the first weekend of Sunday NFL football. I remember being a kid, having to do all my chores, vacuuming our family room, dusting everything, cleaning the bathrooms, get it all done. Especially once this crisp fall air comes around, which we got a little bit of this past week, man, it just it, it just hits different. And, and I yeah. think – 
we should start since we were predicting on Thursday night, Friday morning's pod, what we would see out of the Dallas Cowboys and Tampa Bay Bucks, which there's an argument to be made was the best game of week one. It really was uh, a back and forth. You know, that Dallas offense is terrifying. Michael Gallup will be out for 46 weeks, but even without Michael Gallup, that team is wild. We saw 40 play. We saw 40 plus pass attempts from both quarterbacks. It was a knockdown, drag out, air raid of a game. And of course, when you leave a minute, game. yeah, when you leave a minute 40, 44 left on the clock, Tom Brady is going to do it to you. Uh, any major takeaways from that? Or was that just a wonky Thursday night game, you know, week one? And, you know, was Dallas as good as they, as they perceive, are perceived to be after almost knocking off the defending champs? Is Tampa Bay, you know, I think a lot of people were singing Tampa Bay's praises on Friday and with good reason because Tom Brady did what he does. But they look to be somewhat, you know, beatable. I'm not going to lie. They look like they're they have. I mean, Vita Vea up front was just terrifying, but they look like they could be somewhat beatable here moving forward. Did you have a major takeaway from that game on Thursday night? I, I I'm interested to see week two. Um because the the um, Cowboys go to L.A. to play the Chargers. Um, and that should be a really interesting game. If their offense is that potent, uh, and now they're down one wide receiver, so you're talking about <clears throat> more target shares for the likes of C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper. Um, I mean, it's possible, too, now that... Dak does not need Zeke to have a good game to to for the Cowboys offense to be uh, explosive. So um, I'm interested to see show me more um, because I think that that offense is good enough that it can at least keep you in tight ball games like that. Uh, the defense needs to really improve. Although I was impressed with uh, with the play of uh, of the rookie out of Penn State, Micah Parsons. So Parsons um, looked great, and I'll, I'll throw this up yeah. to two Diggs, the cornerback was really impressive yeah. i mean the, the job he basically took mike evans out of that game entirely mm-hmm. and you know i've i've been a major mike evans believer last year and loved him in fantasy because even if he only caught two passes one of them was going to be for a touchdown and you know mike evans is is getting old he's had a lot of injuries in his career like i wouldn't be shocked if this is a bit of a cliff year for Mike Evans well, and franchising Chris Godwin allows them to say, Hey, you know, this next contract, who's the wide receiver you're going to, you know, buy into and, and Diggs took him out of the game, which is a huge sign for the Cowboys. Yeah. And you don't need to rely on Mike Evans unless you're in the red zone. Gronk had a huge game. Uh, yeah. Chris Godwin had a huge game. Uh, Leonard Fournette had, a, a, I think it was something like 39 or 40 yards receiving out of the backfield. So you don't need to necessarily Pick one Antonio Brown, of course. How did I miss that one? Had a had a, a great game as well. 119 and uh they had three receivers a touchdown. They had three receivers over 90 yards. Antonio so you're gonna Antonio get a Brown lot of that. had 121, Chris Godwin 105, and Gronk had 90. It's weird because last year we saw Tampa doing well, Tom Brady particularly doing a lot of this. Okay, I found my guy uh for this stretch of of three, four weeks, and in the red zone, it's Mike Evans, and and the rest of the time it's uh it's Gronk or it's uh it's OJ Howard or it's uh uh Cameron Brait or it's uh or you know um uh, or Mike Evans in the, in the red zone so like I, it's weird to to now have him 
now that he has all this weaponry, he doesn't have to pick one guy to go to. Um, he has a wealth of options where he can be like, let's open up the playbook, see what happens. And yeah. it worked really well on uh, on Thursday night, I think. I think the terrifying part about Tampa Bay is is the Gronk side of this. Because Gronk looked like vintage Gronk. I mean, he ended, oh, yeah. he ended up with eight catches, 90 yards, two touchdowns. And last year coming back, I think there was some hesitancy as to whether or not people thought, is this going to be the Gronk of old? He had to kind of play himself into playing shape a little bit. And then by the Super Bowl, he has those two touchdowns. And I remember thinking at the time, like, hey, man, Gronk? Yes, he had the two touchdowns in the Super Bowl, but this isn't the same Gronk. Like, he went to him because that's his guy. That's his trusted guy. But that little pop pass, I don't know if they showed it on the replay of it on Thursday night, which I thought was incredible. Gronk takes two drop back steps, like pass protection steps. He read the blitz and it was this, it was almost like a basketball player where it's like they've done so much together that they just kind of read what the defense was doing in live time. And it's two, he takes those two back steps and then they're right at the goal line and it's, you know, a five, five yards. Boom, he's up, hits him. No one's even coming close to, to, to you know, stopping that. And he was wide open. Um, and I, I was mistaken, by the way. Both quarterbacks threw the ball over 50 times. So Dak, he looked good, man. He still looked a little, le- I want to say less mobile, but he looked a little more hesitant to kind of run the football. Yeah. And we'll see. I'm curious well, to see defense, as that too. will kind of come around. But, yeah, I mean, Vita Vea was just a game wrecker down the stretch. I mean, the way he was just destroying the pocket, putting the center right in the lap of Dak Prescott, it was a really good game. And, and I think, look, I'm not going to sit here. and We're going we're gonna to do a segment after we recap the games, which are we're calling everyone else's overreactions, which is that you're going to see a lot of people come out this week and say, oh, man, the Cowboys are, are easily the favorites to win the NFC East or, you know, oh man, same old Cleveland Browns. Like, there's going to be a lot of these kind of reactions that I just think are, are just flat-out false and it's way too early to tell. And I think I went into the season thinking, look, Dallas, it, it, they're going to be better and their offense is going to be sick, but I still didn't believe in their defense. I think Dallas is probably I think I was too low on them just after game one. I think their their ceiling is more is I think their ceiling is really high, especially if all the defensive place, you know, pieces kind of come around. But you know, Tampa Bay didn't really try to run the ball against them. And I think once they go up against a team that can really, really run it or a team with a mobile quarterback, you know, yes, they have Trayvon Diggs on the outside, but other than that, there are holes in that defense and the offense is going to put up points. So, you know, we'll see. But I think both of these teams, you know, I don't think Dallas is as bad as I was saying and other people were saying. And I don't think Tampa Bay is quite as good as what other people are saying. But I do think the Bucs in general are going to be really good. So that's our Thursday night recap. The one other funny thing, listening back to the pod, you know, the game had started at the end of it. And they were at, I think I'd said, you know, Zeke, his over under rushing yards was like 53 and a half. And he had burst out like a 13 yard run. He ends up with 33 yards rushing on the day. <laughs> so, you know, we saw basically 30 over 33% of his total offense in that one game. And you and I both were like, oh man, I wish I could have hammered that over. And we would have been dead wrong if we had actually done that. So luckily we didn't. And uh, look, Vegas was right again. But Vegas struggled this week because against the spread, underdogs went 11 and four against the spread this week. That is. 
ridiculous. And not only wow. were they wrong, they were wrong just straight up, like in, in flat out. I mean, like the lines and stuff were kind of close. Um, but there was a lot of straight up underdogs who, who want money line. And the one that we should talk about first is going to be Steelers and Bills. And now the first like national game was the Eagles and Falcons. We'll get to that one second. But the Steelers and Bills is, is two are two teams that very likely could end up making the playoffs. And I don't know, man. I think people are – I think Buffalo drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid, listened to the media a little too much. I, you know, they were hyped up. But they were a six-and-a-half-point favorite going into this game. And the Steelers' yeah. defense just bullied them. What – I guess in, in this – you know, again, talking about kind of overreacting here, what is the overreaction? Is it that Buffalo is – we overrated them, this is what it's like, or it's just the Steelers' defense that good and we all just completely underestimated them? I think we, we underestimated them because of the, the injuries last year. Um, you know, they were that banged up at the end of the year. Um, and – and they lost Devin Bush, who played a, a key role in uh, in the way that that defense moved. Yes, or on yeah, on Sunday, um, he was huge up the middle. Uh, T.J. Watt, of course, uh, doing his thing. But I think it was just the underestimation of the defense. And, and Josh Allen at times looked scared uh, because it was it was just a. a a train coming at him that that Josh Allen cannot foresee uh, and read, and it was just it was bizarre. So I think it was it was really a, a more of a of a credit to the uh, the Steelers defense than it was an indictment of the Bills offense. I agree. I, I don't see the I don't see the Bills. You know, I think this is actually like again. You know, we we've talked about this before. I know other podcasts have as well. But you know, the Super Bowl video, right? The one that Sports Illustrated puts out, where it's like. You know, it all started in week one, right? The Bills come in with the highest expectation they've had in years, and they get punched in the mouth week one. The offense wasn't really working. I mean, I think this Bills team, this is kind of sneakily the best thing that could have happened to them, you know, because they're going to go right back into work mode. They're going to go right back into, all right, let's put our heads down. We got some – we're good, but, like, our shit stinks just like everybody else's, and we need to make sure that we're coming in prepared – their defense looked really good. I was very underwhelmed with the Steelers' offense. I think that's the one accurate thing going into this game that a lot of people were saying, which is just that they have all these weapons, Juju, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. Now they added Najee Harris. But that offense is atrocious – or that offensive line is atrocious. And we saw it. I mean, Big Ben finished with a 28.6 QBR. I mean, he, he was 18 of 32 – for 188 yards and a touchdown. And look, he didn't turn the ball over, but it wasn't a great game by any stretch for this Steelers offense. Chase Claypool made that incredible catch. Uh, he ended up with like three for 45. But all in all, I was very underwhelmed with the Pittsburgh offense, and I thought that they could come in and be a really good offense this year despite not having the best offensive line. But Big Ben just... I mean, he looks like a shell of himself. He's lost weight. He doesn't quite have the escapability factor anymore where, you know, he was never a big runner, but just in terms of slipping out of the pocket, hard to bring down, you know, and I just, you know, I I just, Big Ben doesn't look like the guy we're used to seeing at this point. You know what I mean? No, 
Now he looked timid throwing the ball early, which was weird. Um, cause usually he just comes out and slings it, but I, 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 I think he ran more yesterday than I've ever seen him run in a game in his career. He had four carries, <laughs> four carries yeah, that's, for that's five wild. yards. Tom Brady hasn't had four <laughs> carries in 20 years. So <laughs> yeah. Right. Four um, carries for five yards uh, though. This is hilarious. His longest run of the day was eight yards, <laughs> but he finished yeah. with five in total. Uh, Najee Harris, a, a fantasy darling this year, had a very underwhelming day himself, 16 carries for 45 yards. But, you know, I, I think what we saw, too, was that Buffalo's investment up front on the defensive line is going to pay dividends for them. You know, they were able to get pressure against Big Ben. They were able to clog all of the running lanes. And I still think Najee Harris is going to end up being, a, you know, a really good player. But the fact that he only got 16 carries is actually surprising. I thought they were going to try to ride him into the ground. But I think they just realized early on that, like, hey, we don't we don't have the horses right now up front to, for, for Najee Harris to run behind. And Josh Allen, you know, we, we saw the Josh Allen of two years ago in this game. We didn't see the drop back sling at Josh Allen. And he looked scared, right? I <laughs> At I, don't times. If, I don't know if scared is, is the right word. The fumbles are a concern, right? Like he, he fumbled twice. He only lost one of them, but I, I just, I I'm worried in that he definitely didn't look comfortable. And I don't know whether that should all be put on the, on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense or whether or not there's some wiggle room there. And it was just like, Hey, you know what? Josh no. Allen doesn't look like I, himself. It's the defense, man. The way they were disguising pressures yesterday was insane. Um, and the for all the, the credit we're giving the, the Steelers defensive front, the secondary, which was what I think we can all agree is the, the weaker end of that of that Pittsburgh defense. That's the best one of the best receivers down in the NFL for 69 yards. Um Nice. Uh, Stefan Diggs, <laughs> nine catches on 69 yards. So, uh, Stefan Diggs wasn't able to get deep like he's accustomed to doing. And even then some of those throws because of the pressure that, uh, that the Steelers were getting up front were, were not as nearly accurate as, as Josh Allen is accustomed to. And, and I'll throw this out there too. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick is arguably the best safety in football, you know, him, Tyron Matthew, oh, yeah. right. There's, uh, Buda Baker like there, there are Baker, guys yeah. he's in he's in the top tier of guys Devin Bush coming back people worried about what's he going to look like off of injury he has 10 tackles Minka Fitzpatrick has 10 tackles but the big I guess kind of thing when it comes to that secondary is you know Joe Hayden this is an interesting stat I learned about Joe Hayden recently he is second all time in defensive back career earnings really second all time He's been around for That's a long crazy. time. He was a first-round draft pick. He got paid when he was in Cleveland. And the Pittsburgh Steelers just gave him a big contract extension this year. And, you know, he was cut from that Cleveland team a couple of years ago. And people kind of thought, man, what's going on with Joe Hayden? Joe Hayden was really, really good yesterday. He was like vintage Joe Hayden. And I think a huge reason why we saw Stephon Diggs kind of get bottled up a little bit was because – he had Joe Hayden draped on him all day, and you get that safety help over the top. Minka Fitzpatrick, a guy who can both cover deep and stop the run, you know, it, we don't see a whole lot of safeties like that anymore. Guys who legitimately make massive impacts. And the other thing I think we have to bring up too, you know, they they had Melvin Ingram, 
they signed him this year and he looked fine. Uh, had a bit of an underwhelming day. He had one tackle for a loss. But T.J. Watt, man, T.J. Watt had three total tackles. Two of them were for sacks. One of them was a forced fumble as well. And you texted me when that when he stripped Josh Allen, and it was it was nasty, dude. He he snuck around yeah. and he got and pushed all the way to the outside. Like he's proving us wrong from Thursday's pod when we were talking about man, is he overpaid? Do you actually pay somebody this kind of money? I mean, T.J. Watt single-handedly disrupted that game all day long so and on on top of it too the guy who doesn't get talked about enough at all is Cameron Hayward and Cameron Hayward looked really good I think both of these teams are going to be good I think I was very very wrong on the Steelers in our preseason projections I had them going I think seven and ten and I think this is a playoff team and again I know it's week one don't overreact too much the offense concerns me but that defense alone, barring injury, is going to be enough to get them into the playoffs, especially when you look across well, the we board. We saw that last and, year too, though, and and they did. Remember, they went thirteen and zero to start the season. Yeah, you know, and, then, and yeah, and yeah, they got their you know doors blown off in Pittsburgh by the Cleveland Browns. But I think the Steelers are are, are a ten plus win team. I'm, I'm not saying they're going to win 14, 15 games, but if they finish at ten and seven or eleven and six, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this defense hold it holds into them. The problem is going to be in the playoffs when you're going up against Cleveland or Buffalo again or Kansas City in one of these really high-powered offenses. So all in all, yeah. I, I thought it was a really fun week one game between two teams that are going to be really, really good. Um, all right. I didn't want to lead with this game because everyone would have just said I was being a homer. <laughs> so we got we got the Cowboys first out of the way, but then we went Steelers and Bills. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles, shall we? Let's talk about Jalen Hurts. All right, this, I was so cautiously optimistic going into this, okay? And I'm going to allow my fan hat to come on for just a little bit, and then we're going to talk about it objectively because I do think this is smoke and mirrors a little bit. If you're an Eagles fan waking up on Monday morning, you have to be feeling really good about the future of the team, not necessarily in 2021, but the future of the Philadelphia Eagles, you have a lot to be excited about. And Nick Sirianni, as a first-time head coach, never called plays before in an NFL game. He was spectacular calling plays. And after the weird press conference and the rock, paper, scissors thing, and then the Gardner Minshew, you know, them playing horse when he interviewed him in the draft, when he was, you know, interviewing with the Colts a couple of years ago, like all of the stuff, it, uh, I think it was uh, Peter Schrager, said this on a podcast I was listening to from the NFL Network, he put it really, really well. And that the Eagles and Nick Sirianni, you would be able to tell week one whether or not this team bought into all of the extracurricular shit. Because Nick Sirianni is a bit of a character, man. He's, you know, he's talking about this season is a 17-round heavyweight battle, you know, boxing match. And week one is just round one. And then you got to come right back for round number two and get ready for it. And you got to be able to go to the distance. And the way that they came out, man, Atlanta marches the ball down the field on both of their first two drives. The defense stops them at the goal line both times, hold them, holds them to six points. And then collectively for the rest of the game, they had more yards on their first two drives than the Falcons had for the rest of the game combined. They were phenomenal <laughs> defensively. They, I mean, they were amazing defensively. And Gannon, who's, again, first-time young defensive coordinator, called an amazing game. Sirianni is a play caller, 
was brilliant. They definitely showed some stuff this week. So next week against your Niners, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. But what the hell? I, th- this was crazy, dude. Jalen Hurts, 27 of 35, 265 yards, three touchdowns. And he ran for 62 yards. Opening drive, marched down the field like clockwork, ending with a fade to the wide-open Devontae Smith. I mean, paying dividends already, the first of hopefully many to come. I, I was just Miles Sanders looking like the Miles Sanders of two years ago as a rookie, and this kid with all this promise that we were loving. Kenny Gainwell yeah. with his first touchdown in the NFL. Jalen Rager. Stealing touchdowns, yeah. Yeah, he did. You <laughs> and I both got hurt by that from fantasy's <laughs> point. But, I mean, the Eagles looked great. And I saw a stat that it yeah. was only it was the third time in NFL history that a quarterback completed over 70% of their passes, threw for three touchdowns, 250-plus yards, and ran for 60 yards. The third time wow. in NFL history. The only two other ones were Ken Anderson in 1962. Wow. And, and Kyler, Murray, cool. <laughs> Kyler Murray in 2019. And it was just – it was the poise and the short passes and the accuracy. Like, they didn't have to throw the ball deep once. And that two-minute drill before the half, ending with that rocket of a touchdown pass to Dallas Goddard, which might have been overturned in any other stadium because the lighting in there was terrible for that play. That was, yeah. But I I just – I walked away from that game flabbergasted, stoked, massive smile on my face. I I just couldn't believe what we were watching, and, and I was just so, so blown away by what the Philadelphia Eagles did. You as a pseudo Eagles fan, but that's not your team. Well, come on. What was your <laughs> takeaway? And then, and then after that, we'll get into a little more like, you know, let's actually get into the weeds about this and I, I won't be as much of a fan, but I just was so happy to watch that. <laughs> yeah, no, you, it, it was, it was fun to watch. I was happy for, uh, for those of you of my uh, good and best friends who are, are Eagles fans. Um, congratulations. Um but again, show me more. I know it's week one and that's a cliche line, but show me more. I, I mean, just I know Philadelphia fans and I know the minute they lose two in a row and, and Jalen Hurts has two bad games, it's going to be like, oh, shit, get Nick Foles back. We need him. Um, <clears throat> Lord help me. So, yeah, right. Uh, I don't think you'll hit that point. And I hope uh, hopefully for for you and, and our other friends, Sanity, you don't. Um, but you hit it with that, with that take on, on the defense. That was a phenomenal defensive effort, but it was against the Atlanta Falcons offense, uh, which did absolutely nothing uh, at all. <laughs> Kyle Pitts was shut down, and 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 Mike Davis didn't do anything. Cordell Patterson was leading rusher for the Falcons. It was a great defensive effort, um, but I, I I just don't know if that's the opponent they were playing or, or if they're going to uh, look a little more like they belong on earth uh, when they play uh, Kyle Shanahan's offensive scheme next week. Um, So that's, that's one thing on the defense and then on offense, Jalen hurts was just unbelievable, but it wasn't just the accuracy or the, uh, or um, you know, the, the, touchdowns it was the way he was making those throws like everything on the run was money um and it didn't have to turn into a forced run play he created openings for receivers and that was huge um and and the strength and power on the ball that he he was getting off the off the run was just unreal so uh good job one to know 
Well done. I mean, if nothing else, I feel vindicated in that my my next like I don't I'm not wavering on my seven and ten pick. Like that's still how I see this team ending up. All right, Jalen Hurts looked great today. And like you said, they're gonna go up against Tampa Bay, San Francisco, Kansas City. You know, they still have a pretty tough schedule ahead of them. And in those games, what does Jalen Hurts look like at that point, right? Like that's going to be kind of the thing that I need to see before I'm going to sign off on him. Because what we said about this Atlanta team going into the game was that the defense is terrible. I, I am more impressed with how the defense went up against Atlanta because, yes, I understand that it's, you know, the Atlanta Falcons and, and the roster is not great, but it's still Matt Ryan. It's still an MVP, you know, and he's no less mobile now than he was the year he won the MVP. It's an offensive, you know, whiz and Arthur Smith. You're still going up against Calvin Ridley, who, you know, was one of the top five wide receivers in football last year. You're still going up against Kyle Pitts, a freak athlete and guy who was drafted number four overall. You know, Russell Gage is a solid number two, but the dominance at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball is what keeps me optimistic because the defensive line was, was just monstrous. And they really didn't get home until the fourth quarter, and they had three sacks in the fourth quarter. Javon Hardgrave had two. He missed most of last season with a pectoral injury. When they signed him from Pittsburgh, this was the version that we saw or that we were expecting to see. But Fletcher Cox definitely has still some, some stuff in the bag. Brandon Graham still looked really good. Uh, Avante Maddox ends up leading the team in tackles. The, set, the, the, the part of the defense that worried me the most is the linebacking core. I thought Wilson and Alex Singleton both played really, really well. Darius Slay, Steve Nelson, that, the outside corners are nasty. The numbers against Darius Slay were crazy. He got targeted six times in the entire game, Darius Slay did. He gave up, uh, I believe, two catches, four and uh, of the four other ones, two of them were pass breakups. So Darius Slay was the investment that people were like, all right, I'm not really seeing it last year, even though he played really, really well. He had a lot of critics. Now you're adding Steve Nelson on the other side. Steve Nelson had a great, great game on the other side. You have Anthony Harris uh, in the secondary. And this was without Ron, uh, Rodney McLeod, who's going to come back from injury, who's coming off of an ACL tear or an Achilles tear last year. The offense going up against the Niner or the, the Falcons defense, that to me is is where we're starting to see a little smoke and mirrors because there's no one on that defense that really scares you, right? There's no one on that defense where you're going, man, like we've got to make sure we're watching out for this guy. You know, you got to make sure we're double teaming this guy. Like Dante Fowler Jr., okay, sure. You know, AJ Terrell, the uh the the cornerback had some nice moments. Uh Deion Jones actually looked really good. But outside of that, like, this defense doesn't really scare you. And it's good that the Eagles beat up on a bad defense. That's what you're supposed to do. So let's see what happens when they go up against a, a better defense. Again, I still said 7-10, and 10, this team's going to be frisky. They're going to beat teams that they shouldn't, and they're probably going to lose a couple games that they should uh, or that they shouldn't as well. But I just – I was really pleased with what I saw to Jalen Hurts all of the questions that we had about him as a player, I felt got answered in this game. Let's just see if he can sustain it. Cause now we know that he can do it. This is only his fifth ever start technically fourth. If you take away that kind of bullshit giants game at the end of last season. So we'll see what happens with Jalen hurts the rest of the season as they continue to play 
more difficult teams down the stretch. But again, if you're an Eagles fan, you're waking up Monday morning and you're, you're excited. All right. Uh, all right. Let's go to the overtime game that we had Cincinnati Bengals and the Minnesota Vikings giving credit to you, Scotty, you, you picked the Bengals. You were all in on the Bengals. I liked Minnesota. I thought that they were a better roster top to bottom, but we're seeing what happens when you root for Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins was classic Kirk Cousins. Anything that wasn't third and four was basically just a fourth down. And honestly, the Bengals dominated this game from start to finish. And if it wasn't for a couple of dumb mistakes at the end, a couple of fumbles, this game should have been a blowout. It should have been a two-touchdown game. And I needed the Vikings money line to hit to win a a four-way parlay, which was the only bet I put down on on Sunday because I did really well in college football and I wanted to end the week on a positive. But you hit it on the head, man. The Bengals looked pretty good. Joe Burrow, I thought, looked great. They definitely didn't let him throw the ball or or be in danger as much. But then we saw this is this is the game, man. It's like when we go golf. It's like when you go golfing and you hit one shot like three feet from the hole from 150 yards out, and you're like, "Damn, man, yeah, this is it's the, it's the shot that keeps <laughs> you know keeps you coming back." This game, that's what Joe Mixon was in this game. Joe Mixon was so good. In this game, he looked like the version of the guy that we always see. And by week eight, we're going to be like, damn, why the hell did I did I draft Joe Mixon again? <laughs> he had 29 carries for 127 yards and a touchdown. Awesome game from him. Joe Burrow ends up going 20 to 27, 261, two touchdowns, took five sacks, which is good in that he needed to kind of get hit once or twice. But Cincinnati looked pretty damn good. And the only question I have here is, is this just two bad teams beating up on each other and someone had to win? Or is one of are one of these two teams really actually someone that, you know, we should monitor throughout the season as like a, a fringe playoff team? I think the the former. I think they're just not great. Cincinnati's offensive line did not look great for as as good a game as Joe Mixon had out of the backfield and, and that Joe Burrow had throwing. Uh on the other side, Kirk Cousins looked like Kirk Cousins again. And nothing got opened up for Dalvin Cook, uh, which is surprising because they did make upgrades on the offensive line. Uh, but that defense of Cincinnati was impressive against uh, a, a Minnesota offense that has a, a handful of weapons. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Um, so, um, you know, credit credit to the Bengals and the and the defense they put up and i told you i warned everybody about jamar chase i knew that preseason was a fluky preseason and he needed this game boy because he looks like he is right back in the saddle jamar chase ended up you know it was funny that 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 clip kind of went viral last week of him saying you know man the ball is just harder to catch at this level it doesn't have the white stripes on it like the college one i'm just having trouble seeing it and he didn't say that for Bradham. that's kind of how it ultimately got taken i think he just said you know it's just different you know like the ball at this level is just different but i mean he had a great day five five receptions 101 yards he had that touchdown 50 yard bomb from joe burrow it's crazy too man when you look at kirk cousins kirk cousins ends up 36 of 49 351 yards and two touchdowns yeah and yet, Dude, if you watch what, the like game, 20, you, 28 points in fantasy. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's always good you, for that. And if you follow the game itself, you're a nervous wreck the entire time thinking that, hey, man, Kirk Cousins is actually a good quarterback because he's just not. 
What I found what's annoying is the it, it's the throws he made to uh, to Justin Jefferson particularly. Like he hit Adam Thielen all day long on slants, two or one of them at least was for a touchdown. But the throws to Justin Jefferson were either uh, wobbly or they were behind him or they like they were not in sync at all. And that is your number one receiver. Like learn how to throw the ball to Justin Jefferson. I'm not just saying this for my fantasy team, but just in general, like, yeah, you have a weapon like, you know, Justin Jefferson, you want to make sure the dude's getting the ball catchable and can actually go do something with it. And he looked bad, man. Like he, he just, he didn't look good. And if you just look at the numbers, you'll, you'll sit back and be like, man, Kirk cousins wasn't the problem this game, but he absolutely was. I'll also say this, and I don't know, I didn't watch every, every single snap in this game. So I don't know if Cincinnati was just overloading the box. But the fact that Dalvin Cook only ended up with 61 yards, yes, he had the one touchdown. He had a 17-yard run. You take away that, he goes 19 carries for, what's that, 40, uh, 44 yards? Yeah. I mean, that's that's bad. Like the, And yeah. the Minnesota line should because be – Because I drafted him. <laughs> no, like he still had a good overall day. He still added six catches for 43 yards on top of it. So he gets over 100 yards in the century column. You get the half points for the, you know, the thing. So he still ended up with a decent day, at least in terms of fantasy. But you need to be pushing the ball behind Dalvin Cook in this offense. Like, you cannot trust Kirk Cousins to be the driving force of this offense. You have to use Dalvin Cook, not exactly like Tennessee uses Derek, Derek Henry, but you kind of have to do it in that same mold. You kind of have to do it in like, all right, we need to get this dude – 25 plus carries every single game, no matter what. And I just didn't think they did a good enough job getting the running game going. And you, you saw it in the passing game. I mean, Adam Thielen ended up with an awesome day, nine catches, 92 yards and two touchdowns. And KJ Osborne, who honestly, I didn't even know about going into it. He had a good day catching the ball. Justin Jefferson still ended up with decent stats, but I get that you have passing options and you have guys that you want to get the ball in their hand. But 25 carries should be the minimum for Dalvin Cook, and I just don't think he touched the ball enough. Because yeah. even with we, we talked, we talked a lot about that last year. Is mm-hmm. Dalvin Cook when it was most valuable, not just in fantasy, but to the Vikings too, when he was getting the ball 20, 25 times a game. Yeah, and that's that's I don't know why you're deviating from that. Now, I will say, I definitely think these, this is more of two bad teams going up against it. Like, I think come week 17, yeah. we'll look back on this and be like, man, remember when the Bengals won and we're 1-0? We were like, man, the Bengals are kind of frisky. I don't think we're seeing that. And honestly... Yeah, you're watching like 4-5 and five in the draft. Or yeah, year <laughs> I, yeah, right. I don't trust the Bengals' defense at all. Yes, they did a good job against Minnesota's offense. But not... It, I mean, they sold over 400 yards of total offense. All right, so, you know, we're not talking about, you know, some stout defensive performance. They just made a couple plays when they needed to, and, and they forced some turnovers. But Zach Taylor, I mean, that kid, that dude is not it, man, as a head coach. I mean, the the, the mistakes, the preparation, some of the stuff. I, this, to me, Zach Taylor getting fired at the end of the season or, like, by week 13, I think is a very real possibility. Because I think what we're seeing right now is Joe Burrow is very clearly the guy. A performance like this from him, 20-27 for 261 and two touchdowns in his first game coming off of a torn ACL that was horrible last year, less than a year removed from it, while getting hit and sacked five times, and yet you still win the game. 
that's Joe Burrow. You know, I that to me is is the moxie and, and everything we love about it. So you found your guy. Go get him the right head coach because I, I do not think it's Zach Taylor. And I think both these, like I said, I think both of these teams, you know, maybe not four and five, but maybe like nine and ten in next year's draft order. That's 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 kind of where I see them shaking up. All right, let's go to your San Francisco 49ers. A dominant first half performance. They were up 31 to 10 at halftime and they just put their they took their feet off the gas right and it's so easy especially in sports when you have a big lead like that to just get a little lethargic and they knew they were better than them they did it without Raheem Mostert they did it without their uh, one of their starting quarterbacks who's now done for the year and we found out today that Raheem Mostert chipped uh, some of his knee cartilage and will be out for eight weeks the Niners win the game 41 to 33, but not without a little bit of a scare. Somehow, some way, the, the Lions had the ball marching down the field with a minute left after getting an onside kick and a chance to legitimately tie the game. How are you feeling as a Niners fan after a wildly inconsistent game uh, in Detroit? Whew. <laughs> um. No, it's, I don't see why that score needed to be what it was in the in the fourth quarter. I get it. You lose your your number one running back uh, in Raheem Mostert, uh, and and you lose your uh, your number one corner in Jason Verrett uh, for the year, which is bad news uh, for a defense that had struggled a lot with injuries last year. Um, and so I think that played into part of it uh i wasn't overly thrilled with uh with jimmy garoppolo um i wasn't thrilled with with the way that the game was managed on the offensive side to to continue to give the ball to uh to uh detroit late in the fourth quarter and and then giving them opportunities uh on offense so um just keep keep your foot on gas step on the throat whatever whatever cliche you want to use so uh, other than that, I mean, like not having a, a, a formidable running game didn't appear like that was an issue. Uh, um, you know, uh, Jermichael Hasty had a touchdown. It's the other one, Elijah. Jeez, uh, I mean, we're like five deep at running back. Uh, had, had, Elijah had Mitchell touchdown. ended up with Elijah 19 Mitchell. carries for 104 yards. Yeah. So, um, so that's that's not a problem. Um, and we'll get Trey Sermon back, which uh, he'll have to step up. Yeah, what up. was the deal uh, with that? Because he was a healthy scratch. He's a healthy scratch, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. But uh, yeah. And speaking of rookies, welcome to the league. Uh, Trey Lance throwing mm-hmm. his first touchdown pass. So um, Trey that Lance, was exciting to see. But. One of one for five yards and a touchdown. Hey, Hell of it. a stat line. Hell of a stat line from Trey Lance. <laughs> and look, Jimmy G looked really good too. 17 to 25, 315 yards, a touchdown. You know, I, I, they're going to win. Don't get lost in stats, Jeff. I, he did not look that great. That was a lot like, and I'm not dogging him because you know how I feel about Jimmy Garoppolo. Like none of us, there was one throw. Um, I can't remember. I think it was to to Debo on the touchdown that Debo scored, the long 70-yard mm-hmm. uh, touchdown. That was one of the ugliest throws I've ever seen an NFL quarterback make. It was wobbling like a punt. Somehow it ended up in Debo's lap, and, and he took it to the house. But come on, but what quarter? I mean, think about it this way. What what quarterback had the most wobbly throws consistently in our lifetime? It was Peyton Manning. 
Oh, well, yeah. But... It doesn't got to look pretty. Yeah. Still counts right. for seven. Fair enough. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're um, right. It was a little Kirk Cousins-esque. And I didn't, I look, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't great. He's definitely not the long-term answer. And I think we all know Trey Lance is. And, and eventually at some point this year, that pat, that torch will be passed. But I thought he, you know, in, in an offense that's centered around running the football and a quarterback who doesn't run, you got to manage the ball, hit your guys when they're open, don't turn the ball over. That's what Jimmy G did. He did a good job. Yeah. And it's on the defense that, you know, inevitably – and look, fumbling the ball three times hurts you. No question. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and it was, it was fun, too, on the, on the defensive side of the ball for the Niners to watch that matchup between Nick Bosa and Penny Sewell. Mm. Uh, they were going at it, like, all day long. It was, that was fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for Lions fans, there is some stuff to be excited about, man, because if they and, – and this is what I was talking about, like, you know – even for all the first-time head coaches, first-year head coaches that, you know, maybe your team didn't win, they came out and they fought for four quarters, which is the Dan Campbell experience. And I was talking to Gabe Eichert, who uh, was a former Oklahoma center and played guard in the NFL for a long time. He spent a training camp with New Orleans and, you know, worked with Dan Campbell one-on-one. And he's like, the thing that always blew me away about Dan Campbell was – you talk to him and he sound, you know, you think, oh, this dude's a meathead, you know, and you see him in the media. And we saw him obviously when he was the interim head coach in Miami and, you know, all of these things about Dan Campbell that maybe you don't, you know, love or might be nervous about if he's your head coach. He's like, he is, Gabe told me, he was like, he's one of the smartest coaches I've ever been around. He's like, that dude knows football so much more than you ever think he would by talking to him, you know, like before, before you really get a chance to talk X's and O's, like he is a football savant and he's not just meathead. I'm going to bite your kneecaps off. And he found a way to get this team excited. You know, he, you know, it's so easy. You're down 21 points to a, a team that a lot of people think are a Super Bowl contender in the first half of your first game at home. And you come back and damn near steal that game away. There are a lot of teams, especially with the expectations that the Lions have, who would have completely quit. And yet they continued to fight back, to fight and crawl, and they worked their way back in the game. I was really happy to see Jared Goff play well. And the first half wasn't great for him, but he had an awesome second half. Threw the ball almost 60 times, finishes at 338 yards, three touchdowns. He had the one interception. But... You know, Lions fans, you might have a coach here that can build something. And you guys know you're in it for the long haul. And after all the concerns about Penny Sewell, you know, in the in the preseason and training camp, to go mano a mano against Nick Bosa and hold your own and, and bat, like you said, two ba- battling of the Titans right there, it says a lot. It, it really does. So I thought it was a really entertaining game. I thought the onside kick at the end was crazy. And I'll put this out here, too, because I'm curious your thoughts on it before we move on to the next game. Debo Samuel has a huge game. I, I Yes, he had the 79-yard touchdown catch. Where was Brandon Ayuk? Zero catches. Zero catches, no, no handoffs. Didn't use him in the running game at all, which we've seen before. He had one punt return. That's the only – it's literally the only way you can find him in – the, the stat sheet, where was Brandon Ayuk, dude? No idea. 
Um, I really don't because he has the speed to to do a lot of things on the football field, including like, you know, get involved in the run game and out of the slot. Um, he's not just the 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 go guy, uh, you know, the, the the burner deep. So I don't know. I, I wish I wish we used him more in the offense. I mean, the offense was was potent, but uh, they're going to have to come up with a way uh, because as we talked about in the in the previous game that that philly defense is apparently really good like really good so um you're gonna have to find ways to win uh especially with without your your top running back and um and uh, a quarterback who tends to get lost against good defenses and we'll we'll dive into that matchup on on friday and i'm really excited for you and i are going to watch the game together it's a 1 p.m kickoff you know, maybe maybe we'll even do a live stream for it. Maybe we'll send out a link. We'll do a little Twitch live stream. You guys can watch us react and interact. And maybe we'll both get, you know, canceled on the internet because we're both just going to be so fucking hated. <laughs> um, but it was – also I put it this way when it comes to Brandon Ayuk. I don't think Brandon – this is the last we've heard of Brandon Ayuk by any means. And I don't think this is going to be the norm. Um, I think the Lions – I mean, there was a look. There was a lot of high expectations of him coming into this year. And I have always been partial to Debo between the two. I understand why people like Brandon Ayuk better. I just think Debo is a really reliable wide receiver. He's going to be in the NFL for 10-plus years and have an awesome career, you know, assuming he stays healthy. Brandon Ayuk has higher upside. I, I totally get it. But I think a lot of people from fantasy and gambling and other perspectives, they look at Brandon Ayuk as like a guy who this year was going to be a true number one receiver. And he has that upside. I just didn't think I would see it this year. And week one, it's a little concerning, but it's a really long season. And you know Kyle Shanahan's going to come back. Like, we, This dude's a playmaker. He's got a ton of talent and skill. We need to get him involved in the offense, and we didn't week one. So I would look Brandon Ayuk next week to have a really, really good game. Uh, continuing on with the 1 o'clock games, probably the most surprising of the 1 o'clock games in terms of results, because deep down, I thought the Eagles would win. But I had in like really, really deep down, I was like, the Eagles could really, really win and be really good. I didn't think they would do what they did, but I at least saw a path to it. The Arizona Cardinals beat the shit out of Tennessee on both sides of the ball and made Mike Vrabel's team look soft, dude. And Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, that freaking offense is horrifying and we talk about the buffalo bills we talk about the kansas city chiefs we've talked about cleveland we've talked about tampa bay we've talked about all these amazing offenses and we very briefly touched on arizona last week and and previewing these week one games but this offense is horrifying they are so good that wide receiver room is crazy rondale moore was getting in on the action we saw christian i mean like with Kirk, all of the additions, I mean, you know, I love Christian Kirk. I was ride or die with him in fantasy. I refused to drop him from my team last year because I just had this faith in him. Christian Kirk had himself a day, five catches, 70 yards, and two touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins, six catches, 83, two tutties. Rand, uh, Rondell Moore, four catches for 70 yards. Chase Edmonds gets involved in the passing game. And then, oh, yeah, A.J. Green, just one of the best wide receivers of the last decade, hanging out there as well. Arizona's scary, dude. They are scary. And when their defense played as well as they did, 
holding Derrick Henry to 58 rushing yards. I mean, in total offense, the Titans had less than 230 yards of total offense. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for a team that has Derrick Henry, um, A.J. Brown, and now Julio Jones to go with a, a what's been a consistent top 10, top 12 quarterback in the NFL in Ryan Tannehill, um, I I did not expect what I saw out of that that defense. I mean, that defense was nasty. That looked to me like probably the best defense in the league, save for Pittsburgh. Um across the uh, the games uh, on Sunday and even on Thursday and, and what will likely be tonight. Um, so uh, that that was gnarly. I, I don't know what the difference is on offense because they have basically the same group of guys. Uh, in fact, I think they're worse at running back, not having Kenyon Drake and, uh, and Chase Edmonds as the two. Know, and, and, and James Conner looked pretty good. I was shocked. Made a couple how, of good runs, but but you know when you're I mean, using him in that like you know ten to fifteen carries a game kind of mode, I, I I you know they worked him as like a true workhorse three down back in Pittsburgh. I think he's going to be refreshed all season. And Chase Edmonds, you know this is totally running back by committee with those two. But then you also sprinkle oh, yeah. in you know Kyler Murray being able to run. So basically you have three guys who stare you running the football and combined, you know, as a team, they had 33 rushes for 136 yards and a touchdown. If you get that on, on a consistent basis, especially on like this Tennessee team that was relatively revamped, that's really impressive. And you're going up against a, you know, a, a defensive minded head coach and Mike Rabel. And I'll say this too, Scott, because it's an interesting question that you pose. What is the difference Right. What is the difference in this Arizona team? Because you're right. There isn't a whole lot on paper, you know, other than A.J. Green and Rondale Moore and, and James Conner. I think Kyler Murray was more hurt last year than we realized. Yeah, must be. Because did uh, you see that scramble play he had against Tennessee that he ends up throwing? That was one of that was like in 15 years, 20 years, or whatever, when Kyler Murray retires and someone puts together a compilation video of Kyler Murray's like ultimate plays, that play will be on it. I mean, he was oh, yeah. rolling to his right, spins back to his left, goes across the field, all while still behind the line of scrimmage, goes, starts to look like he's going to run it, plants his foot, goes back, sees another guy coming up in front of him, steps out of the way of him, step and he's just going back and forth, and then throws it like 20 yards throws down the field. off for balance, 20 yards. Yeah, it, it, it was, was crazy. It was an unbelievable play. And even the, the second the second touchdown he threw to Christian Kirk, he was just literally backing up and threw, threw off his back foot and just flipped it up into the end zone for Christian Kirk for like a 30 yard touchdown. I was no. really, I was really impressed with Kyler Murray and the, the completion percentage wasn't great in this game, 21 of 32, but I think because of his size and his height and, and some of the other extenuating circumstances specific to Kyler Murray, I think that's always going to kind of be a thing with him. You know, like Michael Vick never had a super high pass percentage, but Michael Vick, you know, still got to an NFC championship game. And I think Arizona as a team, the defense too. I mean, I don't want to shadow the defense here either because the, the main storyline from this game is Chandler Jones had five sacks. 
So it's it's like yeah. if you're going to couple a, a quarterback who maybe is is going to complete 65 to 70% of his passes, which is still really good, but by modern NFL standards is just okay. With that kind of defense, with the electric upside and like what those 65 you know, percent of completions actually mean for a quarterback and like his are meaningful, you know, where he's, he's throwing the ball 30 yards down the field. Like he's actually making legit shot attempts to really dangerous skill guys. And I've said this to you before as well. Like Isaiah Simmons last year was the rookie that I was ride or die with, with that dude. He leads the team in tackles. Seven of them are on solo. He also has a big time interception and he's the only – I texted you this, too. He's the only player in the NFL from an athlete perspective that rivals Derrick Henry. At his size, his speed, his athleticism, his, you know, versatility, he's the only guy that matches up with Derrick Henry. And we saw it firsthand. Derrick Henry getting stuffed at the goal line multiple times before Tannehill had to just put his head down and push it for a yard, and they were inches away from the goal line to begin with. And Isaiah Simmons comes up and leveled a huge hit on the goal line as Derrick Henry is about to fall into the end zone to keep him out of it. I was just – I was blown away. Uh, J.J. Watt, you know, he he looked good, man. He looked really good. And then you're going to – if you're going to have Chandler – uh, uh, Chandler Jones getting five sacks, which is not going to happen every single week. But Chandler Jones at his age still performing at that level and J.J. Watt, your other guy. And then you have Zayvon Collins, the rookie who played well, and Isaiah Simmons, who looks like he's really coming into his own in year two, plus Buda Baker in, yeah. the, back, in the back end. I mean, Arizona is going to be – they're, they're going to be a problem for people, man. Yeah. And again, we talked about it in our in our preview. That's a division that we had the Cardinals in last, and they still had what eight nine wins, which is fringe playoffs. Um, so, I I think just based on the way they played on Sunday, you have to think that that nine might be on target or or even let uh, under what they what they can achieve. So. And those, yeah, they, those 15 to one odds for the NFC West entirely making the postseason look, look, they look pretty tasty, man. I might have to see I mean, if that's yeah. still available. I mean, it's probably not 15 to one anymore, especially if the oh, NFC, no. after the NFC East goes one and three, the NFC North goes 0 and four. And guess what? With the NFC South goes uh, two and two. Do I have those numbers right? Yeah. Yeah. Saints won. Uh, and the Panthers won. And the Panthers won. Three and yeah. one. Three and one. So. Oh yeah, and the Panthers won. Tampa yeah. Bay won. Saint. Yeah, Tampa Bay Saints, Carolina won. So they go three and one. But I don't believe Carolina is a, as much of a threat as maybe I thought going this season. But look, it's a long season, so I'm not trying to overlook. Uh, last thing here for this game. What do you? I don't want to say what do you take away from, but I guess what is the the glaring you know light bulb going off here about Tennessee? Because they, they did not look good. They looked lost on offense, especially an offense that had been top five in the NFL for the last three years. Derrick Henry didn't look like himself. Julio Jones got a, a terrible uh, personal foul penalty against them that took a three, a third and one into a third and 15. A.J. Brown, you know, four for 50 with a touchdown, but, you know, didn't look great. He got targeted eight times, only comes down with four catches. Tannehill, 
kind of looked more like the Tannehill from the Dolphins than the Tannehill we've seen with Tennessee, who's basically been a top five quarterback statistically over the last few years. So what is the the glaring, you know, takeaway here from Tennessee after week one in a, in a disappointing performance for the Titans? I'm not worried about them really uh, on offense. I mean, they'll, they'll figure it out. They've got the, the weapons to do it. Um, it didn't look like they were trying to force anything to Julio just because he's on the field now. Um, they were clearly like AJ Brown's our number one. Uh, we're going to use Julio uh, where we need him as a decoy. Not having a tight end, I think, has really hurt uh, on offense because Tannehill, when he gets in those situations uh, where he's getting pressured, he could always have dumped it off or, or found Johnny Smith underneath. Uh, and we, he doesn't have that out anymore. Uh, Derrick Henry doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield. But again, I think this was more of a testament to the way that the Cardinals played defense against that offense by Taylor Lewan, who's an all-pro, is getting lit up on yeah. the outside. Uh, so, uh, look, I, I, I think they figure it out, especially in that division. I, none of the defenses, including the Colts, are that, all that tough. Um, so I, I, they'll figure it out. Um, I, I'm not worried about their offense at all. Luan is the one thing that actually does scare me because he is coming off of an ACL injury last year. And, you know, they, they, I don't know if people realize how much they need him, especially in the running game. And on, for that matter, how much, you know, cause it all kind of ties into each other. They need Luan for both running and passing, but primarily to get Derrick Henry going. And if they can't get Derrick Henry going, you know, that's going to completely fuck up Brian Tannehill. And if Tannehill's not the guy that he's been the last few years, or at least closer to it than what he was on Sunday, then Derrick Henry is just not going to be as good because they're going to have to, teams are just going to load the box up against him. So it all is kind of interwoven and it kind of starts with, Hey, is Taylor Lewan the guy that he's been, who, like you said, is one of the best left tackles in football and has been for a few years. Uh, I I'll put it this way. I had them going 12 and five initially. I think they're closer to a nine and, and was that nine and eight team? or a 10 and seven team than a 12 win team. Yeah. But that that yeah. division is terrible and the Colts didn't do anything to make us feel good. And that's, I think the perfect transition to get into our next game. And I know you don't want to talk about it because you don't want to talk about the Seahawks looking good, but Hey man, like if the big Ten's doing well, isn't that like a whole thing in college football? Like if your conference does well, like you want to pipe up your conference, your division looks yeah. sick right now. Right. You're just, I mean, the NFC West looks incredible. They, uh, as, a, as a division, go 4-0. The Seahawks manhandled the Colts. And I know the final score ended up being a 12-point game, but this, this game was not as close as the final score indicated. Seahawks went 28-16. to And I'll say this. Seattle won this game. But Carson Wentz is trash. <laughs> and I can say Uh-oh. that now. I can say <laughs> this now, Scott. I can there say – that Carson Wentz is trash. All right. He Welcome still has to the party. <laughs> I mean, I saw the dude be an MVP player and he just was never the same after everything happened in Philly. It's going to go down as one of the bigger wastes of a talent uh, in NFL history, but it's also some of the most unique circumstances of a talent. When we're talking about a, a guy who was an MVP candidate tearing his ACL in week 12 or whatever it was in the game, he goes down against the Rams and then that team goes on to win the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback who then gets brought back to the team because you have to bring that guy back. Like that, that's that 
pool of insanity is never going to happen again in NFL history. It's just too one-off and, and incredible and way too much of a, of a, you know, a random entity to ever actually occur again, which is the only reason the Eagles win the Super Bowl anyway, because that's the only thing that could actually allow the Eagles to win a Super Bowl is something that could only happen once every freaking 200 years in football. <laughs> but Carson Wentz, dude, I'll, I'll say this. He looked better than he did all of last year. And maybe he does end up getting a little bit better. But I don't love his wide receiver room. The touchdown passes he threw were not great throws. The second one was a little bit better. But the first touchdown pass to Zach Pascal was meh. It was, again, ugly throw. It was late. It was behind him. The guy was just open and made a nice catch. Jonathan Taylor was pedestrian, uh, which is concerning. They just signed Naheem Hines to a, a contract. I don't know if you saw this on Friday. They signed Naheem mm-hmm. Hines to a contract that makes him a top 10 paid running back in the NFL on a, on a yearly basis. It's only a three-year deal or three-year extension, but he's getting paid like $6.5 million a year, which goes to show you like how low paid running backs are in the NFL. But on a yearly basis, he is now a top 10 paid running back in football. And he touches the ball nine times. I have never questioned Chris Ball- Chris Ballard. I think he's one of the smartest GMs in football. But I feel really not great about Indianapolis. Their offensive line looked terrible. Quentin Nelson's coming off of an injury, so you give him a pass because he's the best interior offensive lineman in all of football. I know that you hate Seattle. And you never want to compliment them. Well documented. Yeah. Very well documented. But you got to give credit where credit is due because Seattle looked really good in this game. And I know the Colts aren't great as I was just kind of laying out there. But this reminded me more of Seattle we saw through the first eight week, eight weeks of the season last year. Yeah, it was a, a little sl- bit of a slow start for some of their the start. I mean, DK Metcalf didn't have a catch until somewhere in the second or third quarter. Um, but, uh, good news for, um, those lousy Seahawks fans is that, uh, um, Russell Wilson only, only got sacked three times. So your offensive line is improved. Uh, I wasn't thrilled with their defense. I know they only held Indianapolis to 16 points, but that was to me more of that offense looking atrocious than that the Seattle defense playing well. Um, it was a late touchdown. It was a little bit of garbage time. It was 28 to 10 with, you know, four and a half minutes left in the or with yeah. like a little over like 10 minutes left in the game. So I guess it was technically still kind of a game at that point. But I just their offense is good. And and we said last year a lot every year um, to have a guy like Tyler Lockett on your team, coupled with DK Metcalf is one of the greatest insurance policies a quarterback can ever have. Mm-hmm. Because Tyler Lockett is a really good receiver. Like he's a really good receiver. I think he's he officially taken over. I think he's officially taken over the Mike Evans mantle for most underrated receiver in there. It's gonna be it's Lockett or Keenan Allen. It's one of the two for the most <laughs> underrated wide receiver in football. Yeah. I yeah. But I mean, look, Russell Wilson too is is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the league mm-hmm. for good reason. Uh and look what happens when you when you let him go out and do his thing. You even got the running game going, um, too. So that's that's another scary part is that Seattle's offense was that good with a decent running game. Chris Carson had 91 yards on the ground. 
I mean, when's the last time you saw a, a Seahawks running back with that many yards? Um, hard to find. Uh, hard to find last year, I think. Uh, and he added Carson, tw- he, he added twenty six in the passing game too. Exactly. So, uh, you know, if if you're sticking to that game plan, and Indianapolis is not a bad defense by any means, not a bad defense at all. Um, and so, I thought this game was going to be a lot closer just because of that. And uh, Seattle's offense really impressed me. So, uh, watch yeah. out. I mean, I think the AFC South is just is just not a good division. Uh, top top to bottom. You know, Somebody's I, got to win it. Though. I think they will be the the team because I, I think there will be an NFC East team that wins double digit games. I don't know if there's a team in the in, in the AFC South that's going to win double digit games. I certainly don't think it's Indy. It's definitely not Houston or Jacksonville. So it's going to come down to hey, does Tennessee kind of get their shit together and offensively start to get better? Which we think they will, based off the fact that it's Derrick Henry, Julio, and uh, AJ Brown. But if you're a Colts fan. This should this should be setting off major red flags to you. All right. Do you know who the number one and number two leading receivers were for the Colts in this game? Yeah. And number one, Jonathan Taylor was the leading receiver. He was the leading receiver, number one and number two in targets. Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Both oh, had <laughs> both had six catches. Jonathan Taylor had ended up with six for 60. He had seven targets. Naheem Hines. Six for 48. He had eight targets. So 15 of the 35 passing attempts were either design screens or check downs from Carson Wentz. And credit to Carson Wentz for getting rid of the football and not taking bad sacks because he definitely did a better job of that. Seattle only ended up with uh, three sacks on Carson Wentz, which considering he was the most sacked quarterback in the NFL last year is a positive sign, you could say especially because it was the same number for Russell Wilson, who's before Carson Wentz last year, I think it was like seven consecutive years led the league in yeah. most sacks. But if you're, if your leading wide receivers are Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines consistently, that is a problem. All right. Zach Pascoe yeah. ended up with the two touchdown catches, but he only went four for 43, five targets. You know, no one else had more than five targets on yeah. their team. And yet Naheem Hines and-, and Jonathan Taylor both had over seven. And T.Y. was out, but that shouldn't be an excuse just based on what we saw last year from him. Exactly. The last couple of years, really. So I, I don't know. That That is a, a major red flag. Um, I mean, and if, there's an- if it's a confidence thing that you don't think Carson Wentz is good enough to get it to these guys, or you don't think your wide receivers are good enough, or perhaps both. Um, but that's a, that's a big problem. I mean, big think problem. about think about it this way, Scott. Between – you know, because everyone was talking about, I mean, Carson Wentz had no weapons in Philadelphia. His offensive line was bad. You know, he had Miles Sanders, and that was pretty much it. You know, is Indianapolis that much better? I mean, yes, they have Quentin Nelson, but the Still Eagles have- also had Jason Kelsey, you know, and, and yeah. yes, the Eagles offensive line last year is an anomaly, but even the year before that, you know, you still had Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks and Jason Kelsey, and he still was mediocre. And now there's no clear starting left tackle for Indianapolis. You have Quentin Nelson, who is, again, the best interior offensive fo- uh, offensive lineman in all of football, and basically no one else on that offensive line. I don't look at this and say Carson Wentz all of a sudden has better weapons and a better offensive line. And he also has, by the way, the same play caller who was in, in the system the Eagles won the Super Bowl and ran a very similar offense they ran in Philadelphia. So, the, the hope that Carson Wentz is now going to actually ever become the version of Carson Wentz we saw in 2017, this game shattered it for me. And I get that this might be a hot take in, in eight weeks when Carson Wentz is at like 
2,000 yards of passing is having a great year. But you know what? I feel very confident that the structure of this team, the defense being pretty good but not great, I think this felt I think this Indianapolis that was a Freudian slip there. I think this Indianapolis Colts team is in for a long season. I think Seattle is going to make some noise, but I could also see them going down the same Seattle Seahawks path we've seen the last couple of years, which is that they go off to a hot start and they fade throughout the season, especially considering how loaded that division is because you got to play six games against three really good teams in your division in San Francisco, LA and Arizona and how that works out will be interesting, but the Seattle defense looked, they look one of my favorite words to describe defenses. They look salty yesterday and Jamal Adams now leading that team like full time. Now they looked really, really good. All right. uh, Let's run through the rest of the one o'clock games here because uh, we're definitely taking our time, but you know what? It's, it's week one of football, man. I'm cool with that. I'll I'll take that. and the NFL being back as a whole just makes me so freaking happy. It just, I, it just, so good, so good, Scotty. Uh, one of our games of the week: Chargers, Washington Football Team. Unfortunately, the lead story out of this is Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, had not a full hip uh, dislocation, but what's called a sub sublocation or sub subluxation, I believe, subluxation which is that your hip partially pops out and then pops itself back into place. And now they're going to be led by Taylor Henneke. They, the Washington football team put uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick on IR. So he will be out for at least eight weeks. This was a really good game. And I think the biggest takeaway from here, uh, you know, Justin Herbert led the team when he really needed to down the stretch and ended up, you know, making some really big throws when he needed to in the fourth quarter. But I think this Chargers defense is legit, dude. I think this Chargers defense is is seriously, like, dangerous. And I hate seeing Fitzpatrick go down. Now they're playing Hineke. But all in all, they did a pretty damn good job. It was a little bit bend, don't break. You know, there was a lot of yards from Washington. They moved the ball pretty well. But as soon as they got in the red zone, as soon as they needed to make a play, force a turnover, they were able to do so. And I, I'm pretty excited about this Chargers team winning a hard-fought game on the road, going across the country. And Washington is kind of what we thought they were going to be, which is a really, really good defensive team and then a pretty good offensive team. And they, you know, we'll see what happens when Henneke gets a full week of preparation because he was kind of frisky in the playoffs last year. What did you take away from the Chargers and the Washington football team? Uh, you're absolutely right. That defense is leaps and bounds better than it's been in um in years past uh with anthony lynn there oddly enough um but justin herbert in is the real deal like he's really really good i mean all pro good mm-hmm. um and then of course our our always underrated uh for some reason i don't know why still but keenan allen who had a monster game, nine catches, a hundred yards um, on 13 targets. But it was a lot of, of the game management stuff for me with Justin Herbert. It was like, we got hit in the mouth, but we're coming right back. We're going to drive down the field and maybe we didn't score a touchdown, but we got in, in field goal range. And I, the defense did enough of a job on the other side that, that they shut down a, a decent 
ish offense in, in Washington, uh, Washington without Curtis Samuel, uh, and, uh, Antonio Gibson had a, a great game, but he was basically it on the ground and they shut down Terry McLaurin, uh, which we've all seen in the last, uh, two years when he's your number one, it's pretty easy to figure out that passing game because, uh, he's pretty much all you have to worry about. So, um, kudos to the, uh, to the chargers defense, um, see what the Washington offense looks like moving forward, but especially what, you know, we didn't get to see the full revamped Washington football team offense because Curtis Samuel is on IR, which is super unfortunate because I think the difference that Curtis Samuel could make from them from a creativity standpoint on offense is, is huge because of everything you can use him with and the ways that he can kind of, you know, affect the football game. But you hit it on the head, man. Keenan Allen, again, nine catches, hundred yards, like, He's the kind of receiver that, like, he's not he's not huge after the catch. He doesn't score a ton of touchdowns, but he just catches balls and racks up yards. You know, he's not going to make the explosive play. He's not going to make the sports center top ten play, but he's going to just consistently be there. And the huge difference maker for this team, and if this ends up being consistent for them all, all throughout the season, is going to make Los Angeles a legit threat to make the not only make the playoffs, but I think potentially even push Kansas city is Mike Williams. Mike Williams with eight catches for 82 yards and a touchdown. This is a guy who was drafted in the top 10 coming out of Clemson for a reason, because we all saw his talent. And when you have to do with Keenan Allen, there's going to be opportunities there, but he's struggled to stay healthy. He's, he has had struggles catching the football. If this is a real chemistry thing between he and Justin Herbert now in year number two for Justin Herbert, and now you got two guys out of the back uh, uh, in, in the wide receiver room like that. Plus, you add in Austin Eckler and a renaissance game for Jared Cook, who's basically been left for dead. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Even he to was be catching afraid the ball. <laughs> he had five catches for fifty yards. You know, and yeah. Justin Guyton, who is uh, he is a daily fantasy monster uh, in certain games. Uh, Kylan Hill Jr. I you know again a, a rookie guy who has some big upside ends up with three catches for thirty yards. And I'll, I'll say this, too. We were talking about the, the uh, Los Angeles defense here. One of my favorite players coming out of the draft two years ago was a linebacker out of Oklahoma named Kenneth Murray. All right. And he had an OK rookie season. He but I always just I liked the kid a lot. I liked his makeup. I thought he was going to be a good pro. I think he was a second or third round pick. He is now the heart and soul, the center of this defense. Right. Ten tackles yesterday, led the team, was flying all over the field. You got a, a healthy and revamped Derwin James, who is a matchup nightmare for teams. And how about this from the rookie, Asante Samuel Jr., five tackles, doing what his dad never did. And he was primarily matched up against, who else? Terry McLaurin, who only ended up with four catches for 62 yards. And he had that one monster, that one insane oh, catch, the catch geez. of the day along the sidelines yesterday sticking his head parallel to the ground and ships his body 180 degrees and somehow it went it's i don't i don't think it was asante samuel jr it's whoever 24 is on the chargers but it went right through the hands of the the cornerback for the chargers and somehow ended up in terry mclaurin's arms that was an incredible play and look the chargers at one point in this game were losing you know they got off to a fast start and then in the third quarter you know, they were so it was what thir- it was 13 to nine going into halftime. And then coming out of the break, it was 16 to nine. Very or do I have those? Or sorry, 16 to 13. 
happened very quickly in the third quarter. And then it just kind of became a defensive battle. And for all the people who are saying Brandon Staley doesn't have the, the, the talent that he had with the Rams as the defensive coordinator, he's not going to be able to do the same thing with the chargers. He did, you know, he is the Sean McVay, the Kyle Shanahan of defense, young, brilliant defensive mind, defensive backs coach at JMU. Shout out to the Dukes. Once again, got to always give them a weekly shout out. Really, really impressive game for the chargers and behind a defense that has young, hungry players, but also like guys who have like the it factor. You know, like that's when I look at Kenneth Murray Jr. and Asante Samuel Jr., like those are guys to me that they may not be the most talented. They might be a little overlooked. Both of, you know, Asante Samuel Jr., Kenneth Murray Jr., neither one of them were first-round picks, but they just have that that it quality, kind of like Antonio Winfield Jr. has or Antoine Winfield Jr. has in uh, Tampa Bay. It's just there's something about them that draws you to them. And then on top of it, too, Joey Bosa ends up with his first sack coming back from injury. Nice to see that he is healthy here. That defense is going to cause problems, man. They're going to cause problems. And if Justin, again, like we're seeing Justin Herbert throw for 340 yards against this Washington football team defense, what are they going to do when they're going up against a bad defense? You know, like, what are they going to do when they play yeah. the Raiders? <laughs> I'd love to have him in fantasy that week. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I've never been more all in on Justin Herbert than I am after week one. All right, two more week one games. We'll take a quick break. Jets, Panthers, the Sam Darnold revenge game. You know, there's not too much to take away from this. There was the great Robbie Anderson, uh, Justin, or uh, Sam Darnold touchdown, you know, long, deep ball. I think it was like 60-something yards. It was a beautiful throw, beautiful, you know, catch, the whole thing. It was a pretty boring game. It was kind of the snooze fest game, both of these last two games. The Jets almost came back and won, too. I mean, yeah. And Zach Wilson, you know, Zach Wilson's going to get some offensive rookie of the year buzz simply because of the way that he kind of gets back into games because they're going to be losing so bad. The Jets are going to be terrible. The Jets are going to be really, really bad. I forget where we had them, but the Jets are going to be a, a really bad football team. I think I had them at like four and four, 13, whatever it was. I, I had them at six and 11. And I, that is wrong. That's just wrong. They're, they're going to be a, a, a three and 14, four and 13 kind of a team. And, uh, but Zach Wilson's going to do some things and, and, you know, credit to the kid. He came out there through some really impressive passes. I was a little underwhelmed by Carolina, but at the end of the day, like Carolina is a young team still McCaffrey seeing him back healthy. Yeah, that was fun. The quietest, almost 200 yards of total offense. I think I've ever seen. 21 carries for 98 yards and then nine catches for 89 yards. Like that, that is crazy. He got targeted nine times, nine catches. Uh, didn't find the end zone, but again, they, they did enough. Robbie Anderson had one catch, the 57 yard touchdown. DJ Moore had a good game. I think as this team gets some more, you know, reps together, I could see them being like a late kind of sleeper. Cause I, I do think the NFC is, is pretty weak outside of the NFC West. So we'll, we'll see kind of how it turns out from there. And there's always the chance that, look, the NFC West cannibalizes each other. And then all of a sudden there's a, there's a wild card spot that, that opens up there for a team like Carolina, Carolina that might end up going, you know, 10 and seven or 11 and six, and uh, it'll be close. The other, the last one o'clock game we had that was uh, surprising actually was the Houston Texans blowing the doors off of Jacksonville, 37 to 21 to Rod Taylor had a great, 
great game. I mean, that game was yeah. over from the, the, the basically the first Houston Texans series. Tyrod Taylor is just consistently underrated. Mark Ingram had an awesome day. I mean, I thought the days of Mark Ingram getting 26 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown were, were gone. And yet here we are. Uh, and then on the other side, I think the most important aspect uh, in terms of like our most important storyline or why you care about this game at all is Trevor Lawrence. And he ends up 28 of 51, three touchdowns, but also had three interceptions. Almost all of that came in garbage time. I, I'm not going to say anything yet. It's too early, but I don't think, at least about Trevor Lawrence, this Urban Meyer thing's not going to work out, dude. It's just not. Like, it's, it reeks of Nick Saban in Miami all over again. I, I mean, fine by me. I'm not a huge Urban Meyer fan. Um, by the way, no one should be. I, <laughs> no one should well, be yeah. a huge Urban Meyer fan. Um, I think for Trevor Lawrence, it looked like he was starting to put it together at the end there. Um, but it, again, it was the Texans. Uh, so I, it just, you could tell from, from the beginning of the game that he was not at all ready for the speed. Like there was such a difference in, in his reads and the speed of the NFL game than, than he was getting in, uh, in, uh, in college that it, it was visceral. Um, and, and so I think that was a, a huge part, but Texans offense came out and laid 37 points <clears throat> on the board. I mean, that's, I, I did not see them scoring that many points in any game all season mm-hmm. long, let alone, you know, the first one. Um, so good for them. I mean, and their defense did enough uh, against what I think is probably a, a really, really good um, rookie um, who will probably be talking about at the end of the year as, as an offensive rookie of the year, just for the numbers he, he will end up putting up, I think. But, um, but yeah, that, that was wild. Mark Ingram with 90 yards and a touchdown. I, that was crazy. And then we talked about the Terod Taylor. He's, he's the one that, that is the reason that we now have Justin Herbert slinging 380 yards against well, the, the Chargers defense. team. Doctor is, is, uh, yeah. is the reason well, for puncturing yeah. his lung. Right. So good to see him back on the football field. And, it was. And I've always rooted. I've always rooted for Terod Taylor. Fun fact, when yeah. Terod Taylor was at Virginia Tech, he was the starting quarterback when JMU beat them uh, when they were ranked. So just a fun fact. Again, find, and finding oh. any way to plug in JMU when I when I can. Little known. Little, little known <laughs> fact. Uh, no, but I do like Terod Taylor. He's always been the guy, um, you know, before the guy, whether it was Baker in Cleveland uh, Josh Allen in Buffalo, you know, we, you can just kind of, and then obviously last year with, with the chargers and Herbert, I, I'm happy to see Terod Taylor getting a chance and we're not seeing Deshaun Watson anytime soon. I, I can assure you of that, if nothing else. And yeah, man, I, I mean, look, I don't think we see Tennessee uh, Houston win any other games. I mean, maybe a handful here or there, but there was a bet out there that I think it was Houston and the jets maybe or Houston and someone else, but neither of them getting over, four wins on the season and i found that to just be hilarious because i think it's actually pretty uh pretty close to being accurate but yeah man i mean good for them good for david cully and everything and all the crap they've had to wade through as a team with all the deshaun watson stuff to come out there and get a win that's that's huge all right uh long first segment but we're gonna take a quick break we come back we got 
five more games to get to here. Talk a little college football, and we'll put a pause on the pod until later on the week. All right, the 4 o'clock window was honestly kind of like on par with the the first, the, the, the 1 o'clock window, only difference being it was just a smaller sample size. But we had two really, really good games, one absolute blowout, and then another one that was also very much single-handed on, into one direction. So we'll start with the two competitive games, the Cleveland Browns and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs mount a big comeback. Amazingly, Patrick Mahomes is 11-0 and in his career in the month of September. 11-0. and Never lost a game in September. The Chiefs are just ridiculous. And if you're a Browns fan right now, what I can tell you is feel good because that is a, as good of a loss as you can have because the Chiefs are just, especially early in the season, with the continuity they brought back, I mean, and on top of it, too, man, this this new Chiefs offensive line looked awesome. I was so yeah. impressed yeah, by everything. But I was more impressed between the two teams. I was more impressed with what Cleveland did than what Kansas City did. I, I was very, very impressed with this Cleveland Browns team. They led through the majority of the game. You know, they were up 22 to 10 at halftime. They were still up. Uh, 22 to 20 in the third quarter and get a touchdown kind of goes back and forth. Chiefs end up holding on with the four point victory, but you know, you can only hold down the chiefs for so long. The big, you know, number of the game is, is Tyreek Hill, right? I mean, just want to say this. I've never been more happy with my first two picks on a fantasy draft than taking Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey back to back at 12 and 13 That's because stack. Yeah. Because between the two of them, I got 17 catches, 273 yards, and three touchdowns. <laughs> like, and that's just, oh and that's God. against an amazing defense. So you're just immediately injecting that into your lineup every single week. But again, a lot of credit needs to go to the Cleveland Browns here because the Browns really won this game through the majority of the first two and a half quarters. And that's hard to do against Kansas city. There's a handful of teams. You can count them on one hand who've done that to Kansas city over the last three or four years. And Mahomes is just gonna Mahomes, you know, he's just going to do that. Do you have a different takeaway or, or, or to you is, is it, or were you as impressed with Cleveland as I was? Cause I was very impressed. Yeah. I, I, it looked like they picked up the offense where they had left it in the, uh, in the divisional round against Pittsburgh. <clears throat> the team was moving the ball and they were doing it with Nick Chubb. They were doing it with Kareem Hunt. They were doing it with Anthony Schwartz, who had a, a decent game uh, on the ground. Uh, and, and in the air. And in the air. Uh, Austin Hooper had a couple of big catches in the first half. Um, and Joku had a couple of big catches. Uh, it, it was it, Baker was spreading the ball out, and it was it was not anything that we're not used to seeing because this is what they did late in the in the season last year, and especially against, uh, as I said, Pittsburgh in that divisional round. So optimism, a thirty three twenty nine loss to the Chiefs in Week One. Yeah, it sucks because uh, you were ahead by two scores, but honestly, that that's impressive. Uh, I, I would I would take as much positivity as you can away from that game and then go out and kick the shit out of the Steelers and the Ravens, please. Uh, 
because like that that to me spoke louder than uh, you know Pittsburgh with a big upset in in uh, in Buffalo uh, in that division. So glean all the positivity you can. It was a good if there's ever such a thing as a good loss, that was it. Good loss. I love what you said there about their their loss is more impressive than the Steelers win. And I think they're close. Like I don't think there's a huge difference. But doing this to Kansas City, like you said, week one, being in control of that game and really a Nick Chubb fumble away from pretty handily winning this and also the punter losing the ball and their own goal line. I mean, you, you take away those two mistakes. I think the Browns end up winning this game. So, you know, you're, you're two mistakes away in week one from beating Kansas City. I, I was just so impressed. I thought the defense did a, a really, really good job. I mean, uh, the help defense they, is good. they held the Chiefs to 10 points in the first half. And again, two fumbles in really bad situations ultimately set the Chiefs up to, to come back in this game. And I get it. You know, what happens on the field happens on the field. You can't play the what-if game. But – I still think you can look at this as a positive because if you're a Browns fan oh, yeah. think and thinking about what you're used to, I mean, Baker threw for 321 yards. They had over 470 yards of total offense as a team. That is so bonkers. That has to be so exciting as a Browns fan to see that. And I heard some people talking about, you know, uh, Baker Mayfield and kind of like as it's just, you know, how good can Baker be? I think, you know, and, and I heard one name that kind of got thrown out there that I actually kind of love. It was Philip Rivers. And could Baker Mayfield be the Philip Rivers of this generation? A guy who's going to be in the top 10 to 15 quarterbacks year in, year out. He's going to be in the playoffs. They'll get to some AFC championship games. And then we always said, too, about Philip Rivers is, they, the one thing the Chargers were always missing was the luck aspect that you can't control. And could they ever put it all together? I think Phil Rivers easily could have been a Super Bowl winning quarterback. He had all the talent in the world to do so. And I think Baker has a lot of that too. And a lot of the moxie and everything else. He completed passes to eight different wide receivers and Odell Beckham Jr. did not play in this game. And, you know, we'll see if the whole thing everyone said last year, like, well, you know, that they actually threw the ball better with when Odell Beckham left. I don't subscribe to that. Yes, Nor did I. it did it force Baker to look around and, and find other guys? Yes. And so maybe in the short term it did. But if you add Odell Beckham Jr. here now, and in terms of development, I think it's good for a young quarterback to be forced not to have a safety blanket like Odell Beckham Jr. because now Baker has had a, a, a string of games probably eight or nine games well basically the majority of last season plus this game in the playoff run last year to get reps working the ball to other guys and i think in the in the long run that's going to help baker as he continues to develop right like he when odell beckham jr comes back baker is not going to be like oh i have to get the ball to odell like he might have been before odell's just going to be another weapon and if you're distributing the ball to eight different Eight different guys caught a pass from from Baker Mayfield. That is really, really yeah, impressive. Good problem to have. And yeah. if you add Odell Beckham into that mix, someone as talented as him, I I think Cleveland is going to be really good. I think Cleveland's going to be really good. Now with Pittsburgh's defense, I'll say this: I don't know if it's as slam dunk 
you know, shut the door that Cleveland's going to win the division as I kind of thought going into the season. But I don't think the Ravens are going to be as big of a threat anymore with that, with all those injuries that they've had across their both sides of the ball, but particularly in that running back room. On the other side of this game, the Chiefs look scary. And I think the Browns are a really, really good offense. And I think they actually played pretty well against them, considering everything. Chris Jones is still a monster up front. But their offensive line, the Chiefs' offensive line, that was the big question mark. They're starting three rookies, basically. And Kyle Long still isn't back from injury, coming him coming out of retirement. They now – they got Joe Tooney. I think the Chiefs' offensive line, this might be the best O-line that – the Chiefs have had with Mahomes. And if that's the case, that is really, really yeah. scary. That is really yeah. scary. Uh, you know, and Clyde Edwards, he lair, not quite the fantasy darling we all hoped, but look, 14 carries, 43 yards can prove to take a significant amount of the chunk in the running game. He was, I mean, he had 14 carries and then Patrick Mahomes had five. And then after that, it was a, a four-way tie with one carry for the rest of the, you know, for the rest of the team. But Edwards, he also adds three catches in the passing game. It's definitely true. They only have two wide receivers that they trust right now. It seems very apparent between Tyreek Hill getting 15 targets and finishing with 11 catches and Travis Kelsey getting seven targets, finishing with six catches. McCall Hardman gets three targets. Demarcus Robinson gets two. Byron Pringle gets two. So, yeah, like they don't have the depth. There's no Sammy Watkins there this year. But unless Kelsey or Hill gets hurt, this team, it, it, one of those two guys is going to be open on every single play, no matter what you do defensively, and especially when it's Patrick Mahomes is the one throwing the football. So the Chiefs are as dangerous as ever in my book. Uh, yeah, bluntly. Uh, to put the offensive weapon weaponry around Patrick Mahomes that you've given him already, um, and I really think you only need those two receivers, on top of now upgrading the offensive line to uh, the best that we have ever seen from that Chiefs offense, uh, yeah, scary good. As they have been, man, like, and that's, and like you, you said it perfectly. It's like they already had the weapons that they had. And when you have those two guys, like, they're just going to continue to be this good. There's just nothing you can do as long as those two guys stay healthy. Cause you're talking about arguably the best, you know, definitely the best deep ball target in the NFL. But then in that medium passing game, there's just nothing you can do. And yes, McCall Hardman isn't the most reliable guy, but I guarantee you there's going to be games this year that he has one or two touchdowns in just because he's such a threat and he's so fast. You know, he's not as fast as Tyreek Hill, but he's in that ballpark. So Kansas City is going to continue to roll just like the Kansas City Chiefs that we've been accustomed to seeing. And the offensive line, again, that's the best offensive line, at least through one game that we've seen because I think a lot of people overrated how good their O-line has been in the past. And the reality is it's like, yeah, they've been decent, but Mahomes is just magic. Like he just does stuff. And the deep, as opposed yeah. to, you know, the O-line they had in the Super Bowl last year was atrocious compared to what they had had before. And now it looks like they might have some guys who are young and obviously Joe Tooney, who's, who's yeah. been in the league for a while. He's a really, really dangerous guy. All right. The other really good game in the four o'clock window was the AFC East matchup. I wouldn't even call it a really good game. It was just a really competitive game. Came down to the wire. It was the Alabama QB Bowl. Uh, we saw Mac Jones throw it 40 <laughs> times. And we saw Tua look a little bit better than we saw last year, but I'm not 100% convinced of it. 
There was a lot of fumbles. The New England Patriots had four fumbles, very unpatriots-like. Uh, but patriotic, know, Jeff. I believe that's the term. That's a that's a good point. Actually, you're right. I should have should have used the proper <laughs> vernacular there. Uh, anything really jump out to you about this game from either side? I walked away from it being like it felt like a like an AFC East matchup between pretty two decent teams, but I'm not loving either yeah. team walking away from it. It was. It seemed you mentioned that it was the uh, the Alabama quarterback or former Alabama quarterback, but when it kind of seemed like like that, it was. It seemed like a college game in some respects. Um, I mean, Miami did it with a, a greater team effort. I think uh, a lot of a lot of spreading the ball around and talk about Alabama. James or uh, Jalen Model had a phenomenal uh, first game of of the season, and I, I said before, all it's going to take is one big play to, for, for him to break out, and he got it in week one. So <clears throat> watch out for that as the season progresses. Uh, Damian Harris was a big story for me on the offense for the Patriots today. Um, you know, they lost Sonny Michelle. Uh, they still got James White and, and you know, the plethora of, of backs. But um, running in a Bill Belichick offense has never been, you know, the bread and butter. Damon Harris had 23 carries and 100 yards. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the last time I saw a Patriots running back with that volume and that uh, that rushing total. Um, so good there. And then it, it appears that they now have some-ish weaponry for Mac Jones to throw to. Nelson Aguilar had a good game. So I, I think this Patriots team is a lot better than – uh, than they looked on offense yesterday. And I think that's just because everything's so new. Um, um, you know, like when you get a new toy uh, and and you're you're messing around with it before you master it. So I think they're going to be better down the stretch. Um, but but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be an exciting team to watch, I think. I'll tell you this. I feel better about Mac Jones coming out of this game than I do about Tua. I mean, yeah. Tua, th- there were flashes where Tua looked great. But that interception was that – was, that was a bad interception. And, uh, I mean, look, Tua – we need to see something out of Tua this year for me to really buy into him. And I don't know how much of the injury back in college is still affecting him at this point. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I don't really see a difference from the Tua we saw this year from the Tua we saw last year. I, I really don't. I, I thought the running game was underwhelming. I thought the New England defense, I mean, this was a schematic win for New England because there wasn't a singular player that that took over for New England's defense. They just, they Bill Belichick them, you know? Bill Belichick just knew yeah. how to stop this offense from Miami, and yet the Dolphins still come away with a win, and yet you give them credit for kind of fighting and, scroll, uh, you know, fighting and, and staying in it and their defense basically won them the game. But if Damian Harris doesn't fumble that ball at the end of the game, I mean, new England's probably uh, because they were in the red zone when Damian Harris fumbled that ball. This is a Patriots win. And we're talking about this completely different. We're talking about what a gritty performance Mac Jones put in and how he looks like 2002 Tom Brady all over again. And by the way, I think, Mac Jones looked great, you know, like the decision yeah, making season. Yeah. His. Yeah. But like, it's such a different speed and, and the schemes and everything defensively are so different, especially a defense coached 
a team coached by Brian Flores, I thought Mac Jones's processing was incredible. Like my jaw dropped at just how quickly he was making his decisions. And it wasn't like this second guessing little like mini pump fakes. Like, oh, do I go here to throw here? Do, no, it was just boom, nothing there. Boom, boom, boom. Get the ball out. You know, like he was just yeah. processing at such an elite level, which is something we've talked about in this pod before in the way that some of his previous coaches have talked about him. And I, I heard an interesting thing too. Uh, is it Trey Brown? Is that the left tackle for new England? Right. Uh, uh, the guy who yeah. came from uh, Las Vegas, right. Trent, Trent Brown, you know, they were, t- uh, someone was talking to him pre uh, before week one, it was after the preseason and they were like, you know, basically like, what do you think of Mac Jones or whatever? And, you know, the, the media narrative has been like, ah, oh, he's just kind of a young kid. You know, he's, he's just trying to be everybody's best teammate. And he's just kind of like a sweet kind of puppy dog kind of guy. And Trent Brown's response was like, no, dude, like that dude's a killer. Like that dude is an assassin and he is not afraid to cut your heart out. And I think mm-hmm. when you got this pudgy blue eyed Alabama, Bama bangs looking kid in Mac Jones, who was the understudy to Jalen Hurts and Tua for three or four years at Alabama, to have that be the narrative that your teammates are pushing as opposed to what we all kind of perceive Mac Jones to be, I think is very telling to how the locker room feels about him. And I think New England is probably going to be a, a, a 9 to 10, maybe 9 to 11 win team. I feel really good about Mac Jones. Tua, I mean, 16 to 27, I get they're playing the Patriots, so I don't want to hang him for this. But we'll see how he looks the rest of the season. Um, I thought it's I, I I thought as a whole, I thought New England just schemed up a brilliant game against Miami and Miami found out, you know, found a way to win. And, and at the end of the day, if you can win in Foxborough week one, that's a huge that's that's a huge win for the Dolphins. Absolutely huge. Uh, the last yep. two games of the four o'clock window, Broncos Giants, Teddy two gloves, baby Vito. Yeah. Uh, we'll get all of your thoughts, all of Vito's thoughts of this on Friday's pod, but. Teddy Bridgewater ended up leading the NFL in QBR this week, 95.7. And it comes down to what I was telling Vito last week when we were talking about, you know, the Teddy being named the starter compared to Drew Locke, which is that if Drew Locke is in this game, he's turning the ball over a couple of times. Teddy Bridgewater played basically a flawless game. You know, was he incredible? Was he lighting the world on fire? No, by no means. But he's also going up against a really good secondary and two really good cornerbacks for the New York Giants. 28 to 36, 264, and two touchdowns. You're not mad at that. And then on top of it, too, you had 160 yards on the ground. And you got, you know, the Jerry Judy. So Jerry Judy did get injured. It's a high ankle sprain. He's expected to miss four to six weeks, but high ankle sprains are tricky. You never really know when guys fully are able to come back from that. So you're, you know, Cortland Sutton fans, Noah Fant, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, who had a really good day. Everyone forgot Tim yeah. Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had mentioned, I think, a couple weeks ago, talk about like best four wide, you know, wide receiver rooms. Tim Patrick's a damn good wide receiver. Tim Patrick's a very good wide receiver, and he added four oh, yeah. for no, forty with a touchdown. So, you know, I think Cortland Sutton coming back from injury, Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler will be able to hold down the fort until Jerry Judy came back. But before he got hurt, Jerry Judy had a hell of a game: six catches for seventy-two. And this defense for Denver looked great. I mean, Denver kind of looked how I expected them to look. The bigger thing, and I guess I should say this, the Giants looked at how I expected them to look, 
But there was a doubt in my mind that maybe we would see a better version of the Giants in week one. And Daniel Jones just looked just looked bad, man. He just looked bad. bad. That offensive line is bad. It's all I'm look, there's two things about the the Giants offense, and I don't want to talk about them anymore for a long time. But the the two things are number one, Daniel Jones is bad. You need to move on from that ASAP if you're Dave Gettleman before you lose your job. Uh, and number two is uh, obviously it seemed that they were being conservative about uh, Saquon coming back from the injury. Um, you only had 10 carries. And then obviously they have the Thursday night game coming up this week. So a short turnaround on a guy who's still on the mend, uh, perhaps a little bit. So um, if that's what you're going to get out of the guy who is your franchise offensive player, uh, you're in trouble. Um, well, both of them really, if you're counting, if you're throwing Daniel Jones in that with Saquon, but you're in trouble. Uh, wasn't, wasn't thrilled with, uh, <clears throat> with any of the receivers except Sterling Shepard who had a monster game. Um, 40 yards that done, came I'm, from that one touchdown though, man. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, even, even Sterling Shepard, I'm like, eh. I'm, I'm done talking about the Giants offense for a while. That's it. Enough yeah. of them. That Broncos defense was unreal. Melvin Gordon Jr. on the on the offensive side of the ball. He's still he's here, folks. Uh 9.2 per and a touchdown uh on 11 carries. That's he he was out that carried run, by rookie Javante Williams. But that, that yeah, that big run he had. That big run was yard. huge, dude. He looked yeah. and he looked just like the Melvin Gordon we saw in, in uh in LA and San in Diego. Wisconsin. Yeah, and in Wisconsin. I mean, everyone was talking about, hey, man, does this guy got the juice left in the tank? I think he proved that he definitely, definitely does. The last game of the yeah. 4 o'clock window, this game we all kind of thought was going to be at least interesting. And it turns out Aaron Rodgers has decided that he does not care about the Green Bay Packers at all. I'm not going to bury him as much as everyone else has because he did not have a lot of time. I give a ton of credit to New Orleans, the New Orleans defense in this game. Yes, he looked a little lethargic. Yes, he looked like he wasn't super invested. But Aaron, is Aaron Rodgers going to tank us? Like Aaron Rodgers is going to tank a season. Like, like so, like no. all of that narratives about like, oh, he quit on the Packers. Like I, I call bullshit on all of it. But they still did not look good. I don't know what the deal is with Green Bay, and they're the team that I'm most fascinated to watch in Week Two because getting blown out 38 to three like that. I mean. That is that was shocking on a to neutral me. site. It wasn't a, even like it was at the dome where and, and Jameis Winston 80,000. Get the, the stat line from Jameis Winston was crazy 14 of 20, and he 148 yards, and he threw five touchdown passes. It would have like 95 at the half. This is what happens when you have a, an ultimate talent in like, like elite level talent in Jameis Winston, but you're using him as a game manager because that's what this was. They just used Jameis Winston as a straight-up game manager, and it's clear that this Sean Payton development is actually being implemented against a good Green Bay defense. I, I was blown away. It didn't matter who he was throwing it to, and Alvin Kamara has another big day both uh, in the running game. Uh, he had three catches for eight yards. He'd have a touchdown in, through the air. But Kamara, I mean, he's such a weapon. He was the guy that Green Bay was clearly, you know, kind of zoning in on. But I don't know, man. I just – I walked away from this being like, you know, and we're, we're going to get to the overreaction stuff. I don't think the Saints are as good as we saw here. 
And I don't think the Packers were as bad. But if nothing else, it was an impressive first game. And it sounds like your your pup, Nittany, is uh, is agreeing with me here. Yeah, he's a big Saints fan. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, <laughs> look, Jameis Winston did what he needed to do. The only fear I have in this offense is that nobody stood out, like including Kamara. 20 carries for 83 yards, didn't find the end zone, and he was way down the list on on receiving, which is rare. But I think the fact that Drew Brees is not the quarterback anymore kind of helped that. Juwan Johnson, former Penn Stater, had two t- touchdowns. Interesting. Uh, the guy we thought was going to be the number one receiver with Michael Thomas out in Marquez Callaway had one catch for 14 yards. So uh, to me, if the Saints want to be as good as they've been in the past years, they've got to find a guy or a group of guys like they've had with uh, with Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. Um, but, you know, that defense was more impressive, I think, than uh, than a lot of people gave them credit for. I remember you, when we did our NFC preview, you were not at all high on them. No, uh, I wasn't. <laughs> like, it's Cam Jordan and then who? Like, <laughs> But Marshawn Lattimore had a great game. Um, uh, Malcolm Jenkins had a great game. So uh, I think they're better than, than a lot of people uh, in the preseason to give them credit for. If they can maintain that pace, then, I, you know, we might be talking about playoffs again because the way James played, he's going to keep you in a lot of games and he made smarter decisions. Uh, and it might be because he can see again. So um, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm the Packers are, are scary. I don't think Aaron Rodgers have, has punted on this year. Uh, he did look like he just didn't care at all. Uh, and it was the weirdest thing. Uh, and it was, it was very noticeable. Uh, it it really did look that way. I just don't buy into that's the actual like that's actually what happened. But there's no denying that it at from perception wise, that's exactly what it looked like. So I just don't know. I don't know what to make of it, and, and that's what's so weird about this. That being said, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, the, the Saints defense showed out and played. But I, I, let me just throw you some numbers here, Scott, and tell me if you think this is a thirty-eight to three type of blowout. Total first downs. Green Bay, 14, New Orleans, 22. All right, a little bit leaning towards New Orleans, but still relatively close. Total plays, 52 to Green Bay, 60 to New Orleans. Very close. Uh, Total yards, 229 total yards for the Packers, only 320 total yards for the Saints. Still very close, right? Uh, Passing yards, Green Bay, 186, New Orleans, 151. Now, the rushing yards were definitely skewed, but – the penalties, five for 33 for Green Bay, six for 36 for New Orleans. The, the Saints were actually penalized more. Time of possession, 34 for the Saints, 25 for the Packers. Like, all of those things definitely skew New Orleans. And if you, if I just showed you those things and not the final score, you would say, I would think that the Saints probably won that game. But you would have never thought and that it was a 30, touch, five touchdowns. A, a 38 <laughs> to three just ass whooping. So, again, this was, to me, the most peculiar outcome of any of the games by far. And I'll, I'll throw this in there, too. The wide receivers for Green Bay looked worse this year than the – not including Devontae Adams – looked way worse this year than they did last year. And even still for Devontae Adams, he went five for 56, 
but he had the 31 yard catch at the end of the first half. So immediately take out what 50, almost 60% of the total yards for Devontae Adams on one catch. And you take that out and you're looking at, you know, four catches for 25 yards. I, I have no idea what to make away of this game. They did end up putting in Jordan Love uh, at the what, midway part of the fourth quarter, maybe a little earlier than that. And, and that was just when they had completely given up. Just a really weird, weird game. Uh, and we'll, we'll see how, you know, what it means in the long run. Um, the last game on the schedule was the Sunday night game. We had the uh, Los Angeles Rams taking on the Chicago Bears. No surprises here. It kind of went exactly how people thought it would. And the Rams just kind of steamrolled them. I felt like that game could have been blown out even more so. Just the Rams were kind of like, hey, we got a lead. Our defense is handling Chicago. We don't really need to worry about this too much. But I don't know. Any major takeaways from the Sunday night game? Because I feel like that was just kind of business as usual in terms of how it all inevitably kind of played out. Yeah. The two things to me were the the – quarterbacks uh matt stafford looks unbelievable and he did it with uh largely not robert woods uh, mm-hmm. cooper cup had one big play but then it was he was spreading the ball around so that's uh, a little bit dangerous um if you're an nfc west fan um and then it was good to see justin fields for two passes that was pretty pretty neat um considering that uh, andy Dalton was uh not great mm-hmm. <laughs> unsurprisingly so um but you know Bears are what they are. I, I, there's nothing more than that. It was the game went exactly how I imagined it would have. I, I thought there was a few interesting things here. I mean, again, like this game kind of went how we thought. Uh, I feel even better about Daryl Henderson, fantasy wise, daily fantasy wise, um, because he's not going to get an insane workload. They're not going to give him the ball 20, 25 times a game, but he's going to get 16 to, you know, he had 16 carries this game. He's going to get somewhere between 15 to 22 carries a game. And he's going to put up yards because that, uh, that passing game is just so freaking terrifying and there's just going to be open holes. And I think Daryl Henderson's going to end up being like the ideal flex spot candidate for a running back team, which is that, you know, he ends up with 16 for 70 yards and a touchdown. That's kind of, I think going to be the regular for him. I really think it's going to be consistently that that is the response we're going to get about Daryl Henderson. And, you know, on the other side, Dave Montgomery looked great. I mean, 16 carries, 108 yards, and a touchdown. He had that huge, big run to open up the game. Uh, I love me some some David Montgomery, but just let's just stop with the Andy Dalton nonsense. Let's just stop with it. Let's just get Justin Fields in there, please, <laughs> Chicago Bears. Matt Nagy, you fulfilled your promise. Week one starter was Andy Dalton. Now save your goddamn job and put Justin Fields in there. And if you're a Bears <laughs> fan, you're saying, I don't even know what the hell I want you to do. Don't get Justin Fields hurt. Make sure he's healthy for when the next coach comes in so that way he'll be able to actually use Justin Fields in an appropriate way and isn't going to get him hurt and is going to be able to actually yeah. be smart enough not to start Andy Dalton instead of Justin goddamn Fields. Like, what are we I, doing? I was going to say, if you're a Bears fan, you might be thinking, hey, keep playing Andy Dalton so that you do get fired <laughs> yeah. so we get a new head coach. I'll say this. If there's a future on first coach fired that I can put on, uh, on Matt Nagy, I'd be I'd be putting some money on that ASAP. I know that's available somewhere. Some places you don't always get those kinds of prop bets. But look, the fact that Andy Dalton played through 38 passes last night and Justin Fields threw two, 
And the fact that they were sub, you know, subbing him in there, I mean, Justin Fields had a carry in there as well. He did score a touchdown on the ground. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just let's just stop, man. Let's just stop. I like Andy Dalton. Nice guy. Good career. At this point, could be a backup for another four or five years if he wants to. Just put Justin Fields in the game and stop BSing yourself. This like that was just. I I stopped watching really after before halftime. Like I just it, there was no point in watching because it was. It was just crazy. And I will say this, like the Bears defense isn't the Bears defense of old. And I do think that if the Rams really, I I think if the Rams defense really wanted to put it to them, this could have been a 45, 50 point kind of game. They just knew they had it in hand. And I don't know, man, I I just hope Justin Fields gets in there sooner rather than later. But again, like you said, if you're a Bears fan, let, let this bad team beat the shit out of Andy Dalton and then put in, you know, Justin Fields next year when you actually have a head coach who understands what the hell he's doing. Um, all right, last thing here, because that's all the Sunday games. Give me the one outcome that everyone else is overreacting to that they shouldn't be, and the one player performance that everyone's reacting to or overreacting to that they shouldn't be. Um. I think it's the – I'm not going to say the, the, the team's thinking, um, but I think uh, an overreaction being that Aaron Rodgers is just giving up on on everything this year. Um, I heard a lot of that rhetoric today in, in you know, the talk about how he looked and how he seemed disinterested and just – there wasn't that competitive fire that you usually see from Aaron Rodgers on the field. And I was like, get out of here with all that. Aaron Rodgers is one of the the fiercest competitors in the NFL. And the fact that you haven't been able to put a team around him to make you more successful in the trophy case is testament to your franchise and not the the quarterback running the team. So I I don't think that uh and if he is fine, I, I think that it's it's justified for him to feel the way he does. Um but I don't think he's punted on this year. He's too much of a competitor to, to just be disinterested in, in making the Packers successful. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that is the main overreaction that people are having. But also I think a lot of people around football are smart enough to know that we're not going to see this version of Aaron Rodgers for a whole season. If we do, that is, that is legitimately unprecedented. Um, I would say my overreaction that you shouldn't overreact to the Arizona Cardinals as a team. I don't think are as good as we saw on, on Sunday. I think they're going to be a a competitive team. I think they go 10 and seven. We know they're going to be able to put up points. I think there are a couple of holes still on that defense. I think once they start playing some better competition, I think Tennessee might not be as close, as good as what we thought they were going to be. And I think a lot of it too, is just this, this week one where it's, what are we going to see? Are there any new wrinkles? There's no film on this exact team yet is, is out there. But the main one for me, and it pains me to say this, is the, the Philadelphia Eagles and, and Jalen Hurts. You know, I, I think the Eagles are going to be competitive. I think the Eagles are going to be frisky. But just because they won by 26 points and, and really beat the shit out of, you know, Atlanta, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Eagles are all of a sudden – a, a Super Bowl caliber team or going to win the NFC East even or, or even going to make the playoffs. I think a lot of people are, are 
I agree that I feel better about Jalen Hurts now than I did going into the season, even though I thought that there was the upside of this. But for people saying that, like, all right, all of the concerns about Jalen Hurts are alleviated, though I want to believe that, I, I'm not 100% bought into it. And I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, so much for Jalen Hurts not being, you know, not being accurate. I'm like, yes, he was very accurate yesterday. And yes, me as a fan, I believe it. But the objective, the other half of my brain, and I know I said it earlier that like a lot of my concerns about Jalen Hurts are alleviated. And I do believe that. I'm just not 100% bought into it yet. And I think there needs to be more realistic caution when considering where this team can go, even though, again, I do think the upside of the Eagles, if Jalen Hurts is everything that we saw yesterday, is potentially winning the NFC East, I don't buy that yet. And we need to see a lot more than that than, than what we've seen. All right. Uh, very short, quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to do a tiny little bit of college football and wrap it up here and get you on the way for the rest of your week. Closing out the show with a little bit of college football talks. Again, this weekend was the, the weekend that no one expected to be as crazy as it was. And yet it was, it was crazy, man. Like we saw a lot of top 25 teams losing. We saw Oregon upsetting Ohio state 12 to three in Columbus, uh, 12 upsetting a three. I should reiterate. We saw Notre Dame barely holding on to beat Toledo we saw Iowa beating Iowa State, and then we saw USC losing to Stanford. While we were recording the show, USC has fired Clay Helton as their head coach. We saw Arkansas beating Texas, not even by like a little bit, by 19. Um, yeah, welcome we saw, to the SEC. We saw BYU losing to uh, – BYU beating number 21 Utah – and uh, in terms of top 25 matchup, there, there was only the four, but it was just a wild weekend as, as, as a whole. Which game stood out to you? I mean, I think the best game probably was Oregon and Ohio State. But, I mean, as a Penn State fan, you had to love seeing the Ducks roll in and, and take care of Ohio State. Uh, well, yes and no. Yes, in that Ohio State lost. Uh, knowing that it's a it's a bad not a bad loss it's a good loss but uh, it's a loss for our conference if we are worried about uh, you know us beating each other up and then uh, the potential of not having a playoff team if that is the case uh, if you get like a two loss Ohio State and a two loss Penn State team I don't think any of them are going and we'll see what Iowa does um, in any case. Uh, it was fun to watch. I'm very happy for the Ducks. Uh, I, I have a lot of Ducks fans in my family, uh, two alumni uh, who went to uh, who went to Oregon. So I uh, was happy to see them uh, have what I think is probably one of their biggest wins in a while. Um, I don't know. The Iowa Iowa State game was was pretty impressive. I thought that was going to be a lot closer than it was. Um, I thought it would have been more of, a bit more of a shootout. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, considering how good both of those two teams are on, uh, on that side. And um, uh, Iowa took care of business pretty easily. Uh, it seemed like, so uh, that to me was, was probably the, the big game of the, of the week, obviously the Penn state game, but uh, <laughs> I, I won't count that one. Cause it wasn't, it was. Yeah, for everyone who's not a Penn state fan, <laughs> that game really didn't mean anything, but. Uh, they look good against yeah, right. Ball. They looked really good against Ball State. So I mean, yeah, didn't I, allow a, a touchdown until the fourth quarter. So, 
I, they're one of those teams too. I saw there was an article on ESPN today about teams that are, that are in position to, uh, to make a jump into the, into the playoff conversation. Um, you know, uh, and Penn state was, was right up there at the top of the list. So. I th- and I think they are, now, man. But... I mean, right now with Ohio state losing this early, like Penn state is in control of their own destiny right now, dude, you know, and, and even so a two loss Ohio state team where the second loss comes at the hands of, of Penn state, are they playing in happy Valley? Or are they playing in Columbus? This in year? Columbus this year. Like, so if you get a win on the road in Columbus against Ohio state and Ohio state only has two losses for the rest of the season, including Oregon and then Penn state being the other ones, I think absolutely Penn state's in the conversation. I mean, Penn State probably has to win out. They have, you know, wiggle room for maybe one loss. But yeah. overall, I mean, and even still, like, let's say Ohio State drops a game, you know, to, to someone else and then beats Penn State and it's a two-loss Ohio State versus a one-loss Penn State and Penn State still ends up winning the, the Big Ten championship, then Penn State's right in there. So, you know, I think Iowa, obviously, they jump up to the top five in the AP poll right now. Tough loss for Iowa State, but that was just – that whole game was just Iowa dominating from, from start to finish. Uh, Texas A&M is in some real trouble. Their starting quarterback is done. Yeah, that game was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and Colorado – I mean, they Texas A&M barely held on, and Colorado with Carl Durrell's building there is legitimate. That Oregon-Ohio State game was awesome. It was just back and forth. It was everything you want out of a out of a top 25, top 10, basically, matchup there. And Oregon's up into the top five, as well as Iowa. The game of the weekend that really just that, – that opened my eyes the most, and I, I kind of called it – I didn't call as much of a beatdown as it ended up being, was Arkansas and Texas. You know, I thought yeah. Texas, you know, they won a hard-fought game – or they won handily against Louisiana the week before – but, you know, it's a group of five team. It's not SEC town. It's not even Big 12 town. Like, they're a really, really good group of five team. But let's see them up against another Power 5 team. They go up against Arkansas. They get drummed 40 to 21. I thought they the got sta- dominated. I thought the Stanford-USC game, 42 to 28, especially after Stanford got embarrassed, absolutely embarrassed by TCU in week one. I, I-, I was – really really impressed to see how they jumped back and put a beat down on usc themselves and in terms of the rest of the you know the rest of the league i mean utah they're just they're not this isn't utah's year byu is a really good program and they're hard to beat and a you know they play a power five schedule and now they're going to be a part of the big 12 as soon as next year so you know there's there's a lot going on here in college football and this week was just another one of those weeks and you know it's a long season but there are some there are things that happen this week, and this is part of why people love college football. Is there's something that happens every week that will inevitably affect what happens in the college football playoff and who are the four teams that make it? And you know, every week matters in, in college football, and that's part of the draw to it, is that you know, every single game matters. And it's not how I grew up watching sports, it's not really how I grew up watching football as a pro football guy. And so I've always kind of been along the mindset of like, let's just put like, who cares? Like, let's just see what happens and get the best teams in the playoffs. But there is a, a very fascinating element to it where Ohio state losing to Oregon, you know, we, we joked about it, you know, last pod, but you said, you know, the, the PAC 12 was in trouble. I don't know if the PAC 12 is in much trouble right now, because they got two undefeated teams. One team has a win against 
uh, a, a SEC opponent, and the other team has a win against Ohio State. LSU and Ohio State, two teams that have been in the college football playoff within the last two years, one of whom won a national championship. So the Pac-12 is amazingly, despite the fact that now USC seems to be out of co- the conversation, Utah is now out of the conversation. The Pac-12 has two legit teams, one in the North, one in the South, which is setting up perfectly for them to actually potentially get a team back in the playoff. It's exciting nonetheless. So uh, another exciting weekend of college football. And guess what? We're going to get back and rerun the whole thing next week. Now it's the beauty Wide of out. It. Happy Valley next week, baby. Let's go. Taking on the Auburn Tigers. You and I will be together. You got a brisket that you're going to be smoking. And uh, Not that right. we're going to be having some beers and eating some brisket. And I cannot wait, my man. Cannot wait. Uh, long pod today. But we had a lot to get into with week one in the NFL, plus a little bit of college football there as a a little dessert to wrap up the pod. Um, Thursday slash Friday morning, we'll get another one out. Me, Scotty, Vito. Vito has a lot to say about Jameis. So if you did, if you said, Jeff, you all did not talk enough about Jameis Winston, why I promise you, Vito even asked us. He said, please leave some meat on the bone for my Jameis takes. We need to get his Penn State takes. We need to get his NFL week one takes, and then all of us are going to be locked in. By the way, in case you were wondering, we picked 20 games uh, before the weekend between college football and pro football. Scotty has a slight lead over me right now. Scotty went 10 and nine. I went nine and 10, and we have the Baltimore and Las Vegas game. If you're keeping score at home, Scotty has Baltimore covering right now and pulling up that line as we speak. Right now, the Ravens are still a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The Raiders are a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Scotty has the Ravens covering the three-and-a-half. I have the Raiders Even. up outright, not only covering the three-and-a-half, but outright winning uh, and, and pulling off the upset because I just don't think Baltimore's got enough depth right now, especially at that running back position. So we will see what happens. Uh, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, you'll know who was right, whether we tied 10-10 and 10 or Scotty's got a slight lead on me by about two games. And we'll be back later in the week. Thank you for listening. Follow us at Read Option Pod, at Jeff underscore Campbell, and we will talk to y'all then. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>